Hey everybody, it's Adam Ray for the About Last Night podcast. What an episode we have today. Holy shit. You would think after Melissa McCarthy, Susan Sarandon, Goo Goo Dolls, Lamorne Morris, Brent Moore, and that little role that we would maybe slow down. Um, not happening. Uh, today, our guest is the one and only Mark Marin. You know who Mark Marin is? I mean, you, you have to. He's, he's got the, the biggest podcast in the world, um, WTF. He uh, is... I would say directly responsible for about last night even existing. Had he not made and taken the podcast medium to another level, um, there's no way Brad and I would have, you know, gotten the, the 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 notion or the excitement to even jump down this this path. And uh, man, incredible to sit down with this guy. The story of how this episode came to be is um, is pretty remarkable. And uh, again, just goes to show you, there's no guarantee. Like I know you guys see these guests pop up and. When we get on a roll like this, you go, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, Mark Maron, that's, that's going to be a dope one. But, you know, three years ago is when I met Mark and, and discussed this as a possibility. And it's taken this long, and, and it's, you know, it's, it happens when it's supposed to happen. And this could not have been a, a more fun conversation for Brad and I. I mean, we laughed a lot. We got into some really raw shit about his divorce and cocaine with Sam Kinison and, and the inception of, of WTF, how his, this podcast came to be and, and the place he was in his life, going from Air America Radio to trying some online content to then starting the podcast when he was broke. I mean, it's, uh, you know, to, to starting comedy in, in Boston and New York. And, uh, and then we obviously get into uh, his show, Marin, which season four premiered. On May 4th on IFC, it airs Wednesdays at 9 p.m. on IFC. It's a brilliant show. you got to check it out. But uh, Mark sat down with Brad and I for a little over two hours. We've never done a two-hour episode before, so that should let you know how special this one was. Um, can't thank Mark enough. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we jokingly gave him shit about now having to put us on, on WTF. We'll see if that happens. But uh, either way, he's a, he's a really... Really cool guy, and uh, was generous to come by my apartment and 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 chat with us. And you guys are gonna, I know you're gonna love this episode. It was incredibly, uh, it was amazing to be a part of and to sit there and chat with him. And uh, I think that's gonna come through in the episode. Uh, so follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Marin. Uh, again, season four of Marin Wednesdays 9 p.m. on IFC. Uh, his special on Epics, More Later, is out right now. Uh, also, Thinky Pain on Netflix. Check those out. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Adam Ray Comedy. Follow Brad on Twitter, at Funny Brad. Come see me next Monday, May 23rd through the 29th in Las Vegas, baby, at the Tropicana. I'm headlining the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, come out. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's Vegas. It's going to be a blast. Uh, May 23rd through the 29th, Laugh Factory at the Tropicana in Vegas. Get your tickets at AdamRayTV.com. Uh, one change in an upcoming date. I was going to be at the Tampa Improv June 2nd through the 5th. That is going to be moved. I will not be there anymore. And now I will be at the American Comedy Company in San Diego, California, June 3rd through the 5th. Uh, one of my favorite clubs at San Diego. Um, I'm pumped. June uh, 3rd through the 5th, San Diego. Adam Ray, American Comedy Company. Uh, go get your tickets now and come see me in San Diego. Um, and then a bunch of Hollywood dates. Um uh, are on my calendar, uh, adamraytv.com for all that stuff. Brad Williams, uh, Brad Williams, where's he going to be? Well, starting tonight through uh, Saturday, Brad will be in San Jose at the Improv. San Jose Improv, Brad Williams, May 20th through the 22nd. Get your tickets at improv.com. And then May 26th um, and uh, 27th, Brad will be 
at Off the Hook Comedy Club in Naples, Florida. Naples, Florida, Off the Hook Comedy Club, Brad Williams, May 26th and 27th. Of course, when you come to the shows, bring your ALN merch, which you can get at astoymerchandise.com, E-S-T-O-Y merchandise.com, for all your hats, mugs, shirts, posters. Get them, bring them to the show, we'll sign them, take pictures, and you could be fan of the week and get some more free shit. Uh, of course, Separation Anxiety, my TBS show with Eliza Schlesinger, Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. TBS. Keep watching that. Handful of episodes left. Um, and so many more great episodes coming your guys' way. We've been on a nice little roll, and we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Um, just locked in another date with Paul Feig before Ghostbusters. That'll be a special ep. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so many great apps coming your way. So subscribe on iTunes. Tell your friends. Give us a five-star rating on the iTunes page. Comment on the iTunes page. And uh, that's it. Now that we got the tour dates out of the way, those are the Twitter handles. That's the merch info. And sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with the one and only Mark Marin. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Feig, right as I did. Coming out. I did. Yeah. I interviewed Feig. Did I do? I did a short one. You mean? Like I did a long one a while back. Yeah. For um, was it that movie that was coming out? Or Spy? I think it was for that one. Or was it for Bridesmaids? No, it was it was he was Paul Feig at this point. Oh no no he's definitely Paul Feig. But how many years ago was that? I feel 2013. like 2013. Oh maybe it was. But I uh, I think it was the other one. Yeah. Bridesmaids. But I talked to him again. Spy. Yeah, you did. Like, I did a short one with him, too, didn't I? Isn't that so funny? 700. Do you even... Do you remember you interviewed the president, right? I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a weird memory because uh, it... Um, you give me a little more in the head. Yeah, how's that? More. Hello, check, check. Is that you turning it up or down? I'm turning it up. Oh, more. Yeah? That's good. Okay, I think that's good. Oh, wait, no, this is you. Oh, yeah, that... Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, well, the, that one's more surreal... You know, like, I do remember that happening, but yeah. it doesn't feel like it, uh, it was possible. Yeah. You know, like, it, that, the zone of that whole day was kind of weird. But I know that uh, it's weird. I know I interviewed Paul Feig, but I feel like we had him back hmm. for a short one. But maybe we didn't, because I a do that one, sometimes. Maybe? No, yeah. I, you, you know, sometimes I don't really repeat guests, but I'll have people back that I like or that are friends of the show right. to sure. do, like, specifically a promotional thing. Yeah. Like I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna uh, get Jim Norton on the phone tomorrow because he's got some gigs coming up, you nice. know, in, in the area. But I can't get him in uh, in time. And people you probably know, hit you up too, right? Like not like really. Buddies. Oh, really? I mean, like I, I don't know that people like they don't hit me up to you know have lunch or ask me to be on my show. <laughs> I mean, I know, you know some people want to do the show, yeah. And it's really relative to uh, you know if I know them or I, I feel like I can uh, lock into what they're about. But uh, but usually just friends or friends of the show will hit me or my producer up to do those type of interviews, like the short ones, because right. we don't really do promotional interviews that much. So if I can just sort of check in with somebody like Kirkman's coming over on Thursday for whatever, a book or whatever, and, you know, I haven't talked to her in a 
few yeah. years, so I'll have them on for you know fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, now, I, I, I would just imagine you'd be being bombarded with like everyone <laughs> trying to be on the show. I guess so, but I'm like I'm a little uh, outside of it now because you know friends. Mm-hmm. Like I still do interviews like that. Like um, you know Godfrey. Uh, Godfrey kept pestering me about uh, Guatemala, you know the uh, the French comedian. This guy God, who is a huge star in France. Yeah, he's a comic and actor. You know, he's sort of been you know he's been here before, but he's sort of being championed a bit by Seinfeld and some other people, and he's trying to do stand up in English. Like he's a big French comedian oh, that yeah. always he just came to the comedy store, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if he went on or not. Did he? Yeah, he, oh. yeah, he did. He did go on because I know he did Largo. I saw him mm-hmm. in Largo. I, you know, I have a little more time now that I'm not shooting, so I go check out. But Godfrey wouldn't stop bothering me about the guy, so I went down to his show at Largo to watch him do stand up in English, and I thought there was something interesting about about that. So you know, I just, I just, the point being, I just booked that myself. Uh, you know, day yeah. before. So right. I still. How do much that of occasion. your show do you? Um, I mean, you book. All, you book. I approve now. Okay. I, I mean, like I get pitch people. Yeah. It's not like it's just uh, my show is just me and my producer uh, and business partner Brendan McDonald. Yeah. But because you know you sort of run out of connections, so we do work with a booker. So I'll get pitched people yeah. from one way or the other. But it usually goes to him first and then me. Right. But you know, some people ask me, and then some people I forget that I told them I'd be on <laughs> that that they can be on. I need to be able to really kind of dig in for an hour. And there's a lot of comics like I haven't had either of you guys on. I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, hey, I, I mean, I guess this is kind of our audition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. In, 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 I thought we could sense. relax and just interview, but this but is. Jesus. Why do you think I got five candles out for this? <laughs> Usually it's two. What are you going to fuck me after? <laughs> Is that how you get on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> That's how Dean Del Rey got on. Son of a bitch, Dean. Now, I want to know, like, you know, for us, like, we've... Dean was just a pest. He did what he did. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he just wanted to be on my show. You wanted no, me to be on your no. show. No, F- Dude, li- li- well, I, and I want to tell that story because this is, th- this is how dope you are, though. So we met in Montreal. I'd say, like, maybe, like, said hey at shows. Right, I've gone right. up to you a few times and been like, I love the podcast. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, yeah, man, everybody does. No, I did and not. No, that. I know you didn't. But you were just, you were very right. kind. Right. I think I actually was telling you, I just opened for Sinbad in Ontario. Oh, that makes sense. And yeah. at the improv, and I was telling you, and I would stay out till 3 a.m. at the club, and Sinbad would just tell stories. And right. I felt like I was interviewing him because I kept setting him up, and then he would go on these long stories. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. going to you and being like, you gotta get Sinbad. can you have Sinbad on your podcast because I want to hear that. Yeah. I want to hear you two together. Took a while, but I yeah, got him. Yeah. Did, and that, that was, was amazing. Fantastic episode. But so uh, we met in Montreal, and we got on some same show together. And Ryan Singer is a good buddy of mine, and that was a nice... It took uh, him years to get on my show. Yeah. And he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? That's... Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so then we did one show, and then you go, hey, I got some other shows to do. Do you want to just come with? And I was like, Mike, man, just ask me to go hang out with him. And your right. manager was with you, and then she split. Mm-hmm. And then it was just you and I, and we walked through Montreal, yeah. shooting the shit. Yeah. And then by the end of it, we got back to the hotel... Uh, where you know at the high where everybody uh, hangs you know, out, hangs that out. horrible <clears throat> and clusterfuck. I, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, man, like leave on a high note, like because yeah. we got back and definitely like some rapport had been built." And I was yeah, like, yeah. "All right, do you do you press your luck and do you go? What are you drinking, man? Or do yeah. you like and say that?" And then, but I was like, "All right, man, good to see. You. I'll see you back in L.A." And then I would see you back in L.A. And it was and we'd you know cross paths and the haze here and there. Yeah. And I think I brought the podcast once and then just never. It never formed right. anything. And then right. I just go, you know, man, I'm not going to pester. And then, like, we got on, and this happened with Garland, too, where I would, like, pestered him and same. 
with we have had um, Melissa McCarthy twice now, but I can't I, get Melissa McCarthy. Well, hey, well, man. you did a movie with her. Well, yeah, yeah. but I mean, I, that's something I would love to put you in touch with because that would be. Great. I don't know what I got to yeah. do for that one. Well, you got to put me on yours, and then I'll get you Melissa. McCarthy. Oh, <laughs> oh, there you go. This is our show business. No, 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 no. no I would gladly uh, watching Jews barter. This is awesome. <laughs> This is like this is we knew we did it. <laughs> I know, but now I'm seeing it in the wild. Yeah. This is amazing. This is like a nature documentary. No, no. I just feel like I, I, I feel like some guy with a British accent has to be narrating this. Watch as the Jew from Seattle. Will they make the deal? <laughs> a, a, a family satyr is on the line. Uh, so then, uh, but then we just got on, on enough shows together over the span of a week. And, yeah, and, uh, and I went up to you and uh, and I tried to. It's also too like. I know that you do get bombarded with, you know, just people for whatever, like because um, uh, of who you are. And I know that, uh, like, you got to be, you have to have some sort of tact, even with me asking you to do the podcast. And I don't want other people to be around. Uh, but also, I didn't want to corner you in a bathroom. So, yeah. like, I see you in the bar of the, uh, at the back of the store and, uh, and brought it up. And I didn't even think you were going to remember, like, me asking you to do the podcast three years ago in Montreal. Yeah. And I was just like, hey, do you remember Montreal, the podcast? And you go, oh, yeah. yeah. And then I was like, you want to do And so, anyway, thank well, you, you know, for... Well, you know, there's weird because, like, I know you're a guy. You know, you're around. We've done shows before. I, I, I remember now that you bring it up. Like, the, the problem with, with my life, and, and maybe it's age or what, I don't know if, it's, if I have a brain problem. I, I don't know. But, like, I, there's so many people, so many places, so many yes. things that either I don't, like, I don't there's some part of my brain that doesn't register memories that well or, yeah. or there's just too much, you know, cause like, I know I knew you and I know I'd see you do the shows at the store and like, like, but like it all now I remember, Yes, but it, it be, it became a thing where I, I, I must've known something and I must have enough uh, familiarity and respect for you to be I like, all right, let's it. do it. But Dino's a whole other story. Like Dean for years, like first it was like, why don't you have a guy that hasn't done it a long time on? <laughs> <laughs> and then all slowly, like, yeah. But then all of a sudden, he's, he's becoming a guy that's yeah. done it longer than yeah. you, you know. Right. Yeah. But that was a weird thing. Like that took because I didn't really know him that well, and he was a, a, a pest when I first met him, and I had no idea, you know, what he was about. He was just yeah. a guy that I'd see, you know, walking around with his helmet. You, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> helmet guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, man. With his leather jacket, yeah. and his helmet before he he got the mustache and the glasses. <laughs> And then uh, Christy told me, like, you know, like that dude's like got his crazy life, yeah. crazy life. And I'm like, all right. And it turned out to be really good. Uh, it was a really great interview. episode. Yeah. But um, but, but in my. Uh, no, you uh, didn't pester me, but you were always around. And you have to have wherewithal in my uh, uh, position, too, be, to know that uh, you do get inundated with a lot of messages and whatnot. And so I can't go. I can't believe it's been three years and he hasn't asked me. He hasn't yeah. asked me to be like, hey, remember the podcast? Yeah. So I had to, you know, there's tact to, you have to be proactive, but also not be uh, pain right. in the ass. But right? like I, a lot of times it's, it, it really is about getting in my face a bit, but I don't want to give anyone any big ideas because like, I don't want to be put in the position <laughs> sure. to continue to put people off. I'll generally be polite and I'll tell them to email me at an email that I can that I look at, but is not my regular email. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, and then like eventually I get back to people, but sometimes it's not that quickly because. And I always used to get mad at people that didn't get back to emails, but at, after a certain point, you know, you get too many, and you literally forget about them. You have other things to do. Yeah. People who are emailing you are going like, "Why the fuck didn't he answer my email?" And I'm like. I don't even remember it. That was three days ago. I've gotten ninety. I it just you know I don't. The know long to... emails too. Like there's. I mean, if I see an email longer than like three sentences, I'm like, oh boy, I'll, I'll read that oh, next no, week, maybe. Yeah. Right. Well, the, those that come through the site, like it depends. They got grab me. Like yeah. it got to be a good story right out of the gate. <laughs> the fan emails. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, no, no. I mean, I'll read stuff if, you, you, uh, depending on – a lot of times it's tricky because I try to go through them and be fair, but I'm not going to respond. I do look at all of them, and I do read a lot of them, but sure. I can't respond to all of them. And it's really – it's not unlike Twitter. It just depends on the time of day yeah. or the <laughs> mood I'm in. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and you've gotten to become a guy where now when people have their interaction with you, that's – the huge deal for them. I guess so. They're going to remember that. Right. And for you, it's like I get tons of fans, tons well, of Well, I just don't – I'm not that cognizant of my own place in the world, really. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that is, and I, and I don't know if it's a bad thing. But, like, in my life, like, I'm, I'm still just going out to the garage when people come over. And, and obviously, big people come over. Right. But, you know, once, it, once I'm done with that conversation and it goes to my producer and then it goes out in the world, you know, I'll look at Twitter and stuff. But, like, I don't always have a – like, I know, like, the emails I get and, you know, Twitter things I see or whatever. I know feedback. But I don't really take it in as – like – like the thing, like I had Ali Wong on the other day. Fantastic, great interview. But I love her, you know. Yeah. Like, and I've always liked her. And it was one of these oversights where it's sort of like I should have had her on earlier. It's like Natasha too. Like, yeah. you, you know, it's like why not have Natasha on earlier? I don't know. I just space it out. So, and then they come around through the booker somehow. Yeah. And I don't know if Ali did. I think I told Ali. I said, "Let's do this" because, like, you know, I was watching her work, and I'd known her for about a decade. She featured for me in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, her, and her new special is well. That was fantastic. the thing is like you know I was seeing her at the store and I'm like why isn't she on later number one? Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the reasons is she wants to get in and out. She's got the baby. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But like she's doing very raw, very a, a type of comedy that is is not around much, and and uh, has a certain amount of uh, not only integrity but guts to it. Like you know Absolutely. to be a dirty, honest comic. There's just that, you know, you'd think there'd be more because it's sort of what I come from. It's sort of what, you know, we, we know of. Yeah, and it, it, it and it's refreshing to see someone who's not being dirty for the sake of being dirty. No, and that not was just the, saying fuck because right, they or, think it's or shock being, value. Or right, or, or it's just, honest dirty. Or being construct or constructing shock value stuff just for the sake of that mm-hmm. in joke form. You know, she's talking about her life with a very diligent, very raw, and very, you know, unique way. And, like, so just by coincidence, you know, the special was coming out, and I watched it. And, you know, I watch specials sometimes. And I was like, holy fuck, you know, like, I, I really love this. And yeah. I, you don't feel that often about as a comic about another comic. Yeah. So I was just excited as hell to, to sort of, you know, have her on and then, and then get behind the special. And then when I saw, I was very thrilled at the response it was getting for her. You know, not like that. But it was one of those moments where I'm like, you know, people listen to me. You, you know, yeah. and because you know, I was seeing us both kind of in uh, added it uh, in the tweets. Yeah. You know, I'd love this. Ellie Wong. Thanks, Mark Barron. I'm like, I'm so happy for her. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that I, I was able to deliver it. Yeah. You know what I mean? At what point do it with the uh, podcast did you go like for us right now when we still try to pitch like I know uh, to you, I briefly said like, hey, we've had on Susan Strand and Paul Fig, Melissa, Dana Carvey to try to like validate. I, yeah, yourself. I never got Dana Carvey. All right. Well, we'll talk after the podcast. <laughs> well, no, I mean, he knows. Adam Ray, right. episode 926. <laughs> but like there's You've done that many. No, oh, I was oh, saying oh, for oh. you. Yeah, we've done oh, 200. Okay. So you're at 700, so I'm t- saying. But, like, uh, I don't, like, you know, those guys come by, you know, and it's a matter of seizing a, a moment or, you know, and also, you know, my my show is sort of, you know, specific and people have ideas about what it is to do my show. Right. You know, like, like I don't know if I want to get that personal or I don't right. know. Like, they assume that, 
you know, it's going to go to this place that's not just casual, right? Which is not really true. No, they, I, I'll do whatever's going to happen. But I, yeah, I want to know at what point did you maybe like? Did you ever pitch uh, when you're trying to get uh, guests? Did you ever say, "Hey, I've had all these guys to kind of to try to validate your show"? Oh and yeah, the podcast form. Sure. Okay. Well, there was a time where you know when podcasting sort of started becoming popular that. You know, there were some publicists that knew about my podcast, but it didn't mean the talented. So they would show up not really knowing what it was. You know, are we mm-hmm. videoing? Where is it? This is where they're happening. Like, I remember yeah. Brian, Brian Cranston coming over and just being like, what, what is this? You know, <laughs> and I'm, I had John Hammer. He's like, oh, yeah, Ham did it. All right. So, like, you know, like that wow, validated yeah. it. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And, and that's got to be an interesting point for you because, I mean, hell, you kind of – made this thing famous this media right. famous between like you and Corolla and maybe Kevin yeah Kevin but like uh this wasn't a thing right this didn't exist and then well when i got in i all i knew about it was that there were some guys that i kind of knew doing it mm-hmm. and i'd come out of uh you know a, a, a sort of failed streaming video uh, project. I was going to say, I watched uh, a bunch of YouTube videos last night. Oh, the break, the break Room Live? I mean, Break Room Live, brushing your teeth, talking to your cats, very entertaining. And oh, it was those also... Were the, those were my early attempts at a YouTube yeah, channel. But that but was that also is. a year before the podcast. So I'm watching these being like... And you even would talk to the camera being like, I guess... You know, social media is a thing I got to do now. I didn't come up in this, but like, and people like to see, and I've got some, I've done some stuff, so maybe people want to see me do this. And it right. was, uh, you know, it was, I definitely watched a lot. I mean, just brushing your teeth. Was, yeah, there was like three of those weird ones where, I, where, where I'm chasing the cat or something, <laughs> or I'm making the cat catch a ball. Like, I didn't understand YouTube, and like, I thought, like, All right, clearly, maybe this will be. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you were following your cat chasing ball. Is hey, this how YouTube works? Right, exactly. Yeah. Cat videos get a lot of hits. Yeah, I yeah. mean, so there's nothing wrong I with that. I didn't even right. know if I was thinking about that. I just had some dudes. I think maybe even Ryan might have shot those. Yeah. I don't remember who shot those. And the brushing the teeth thing, I'm, I figured my my angle there was like, I'm pretty funny. Maybe I could do this funny. Yeah. But like, I didn't I didn't really have a sense of <laughs> Wait, what. You know. I, I'm pretty funny. So maybe if I stick this thing in my mouth and, and stop, just let it, it happen, yeah, and, and it'll stop, be funny. Stop my ability from talking to happen. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll still be able to pull this off. Well, I thought it was mundane, <laughs> but I thought it was like interesting. But I wanted, I was thinking, I just sort of like, it was a weird uh, approach to maybe starting a YouTube channel without knowing about the podcast. But the break room live stuff, I mean, we did that. Like daily, dude. Yeah, you that know, was after for years. Air America, right? Well, it was that Air America? Yeah, but it was Air after America. it had colla- collapsed, and I was out, and uh, I wasn't going to go back. And then, like uh, after a year of being almost a year of being out of there as a radio personality, um, a new CEO came in, and one of the guys who used to be a, a, one of the original executives there had this idea, like, why don't you come back? We'll try this streaming video thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he had this idea that. But I was shattered from a separation, and I was in the middle of a divorce, and I just couldn't even, you know, conceive of doing anything public really like that on a day-to-day basis because right, yeah. I was emotionally incapacitated. <laughs> I so re- I remember those sets at the Comedy Store. Yeah, those sets, and I remember one night being in the Comedy Store, and we were we were at the back bar, yeah. and, and Brett Ernst just burst into the room, and be like, "Marin's on, you guys got to see this," <laughs> and we all ran out to the <laughs> OR. And you were just—it was some of the most honest comedy. Uh, like, what it, were you it, talking about? Do you remember? I mean, you—you—you you, you were talking about the divorce and just—it was what, in the middle of it. Yeah, you, know, you were right in the Jesus. middle of it, and it was so like raw. And I'm you, and I'm using this these words in the most honest way they've ever been said. Yeah. 
painfully funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Painfully funny. Because like, I had no distance. Yeah, you're like, oh, f-. like, like you would be talking about stuff that just happened that day. Yeah. It, and was that like. When when you were going through that, did you need the stage at that point? Well, I, didn't, I didn't know what else to do. You know, like I did, like, and I've always had uh, an issue with, you, you know, I I don't know why I, I got into comedy other than I wanted to be a comedian, but I don't know that that meant being an entertainer to me. Right. Like I, I thought that this was a place where people were honest. For some, you know, I thought that this was a place where you know I get to decide what I do. So me processing stuff, processing stuff was was not unusual, you know, and I've, I've taken hits for that, you know, from you know, uh, girlfriends and, and wives and stuff in terms sure. of, you know, uh, what I can and can't say. And I've learned some lessons over the years about that, but I didn't know what else to do. And, and, I, and also she was a comedian and, you know, I needed, there was something territorial about it yeah. that I was going, I was going to own the narrative. I was not, I was not going to, you know, really let it just be like something that happened in our community. Right. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I wanted to be as public as possible so she wouldn't come around anymore. <laughs> that, that was, <laughs> she thought, like, well, if I talk yeah. about this, yeah. now, now when she shows up here, all the comics are going to be looking at her like, you're the one. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, like, and I don't think I necessarily demonized her. I no. just didn't think, I didn't know that where else I could process the shit. And it was my place to do it. You didn't have people like, and, and do you now even, like, do you have uh, friends in your life? That you yeah, maybe, sure. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, like, how much can they take? I mean, you know, yeah. it's like you, you, you know, this is what I do. And, 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 and I'm having a little trouble now, you know, writing new material in terms of, you, you know, what I can and can't talk about and what risks I'm willing to take. You know, I'm not hiding much, but, you know, there's, you know, I'm seeing a woman and, and that's what it is. And she's a little more uh, sensitive than other ones I've been with. And it just becomes tricky. But at that time, it was like... I was going broke. You know, it, it, it was bleeding me of money. Like, yeah. there was no end to it. Um, I think that some of the sets I, I started doing was during the separation, so I didn't even know what was going to happen. But by the time the divorce started picked up speed, like, I, my entire life was organizing paperwork, not understanding that that it was a shakedown, that the way divorce works was there's no justice to it. Like, yeah. she... There are laws where she's going to get half of whatever I got no matter what. And it wasn't nothing mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. I had savings from Air America. And then, but in my mind, it was like, well, that should be it then. But she hired lawyers, you know, that were real divorce lawyers that do what they do. And that what they do is they, they make you jump through hoops that keep costing you money and costing you money. And there's really no end to it until someone yeah. says, I, I, okay, I'm done. Yeah. So that moment happened. Where I realize, like there, there, you know, there's no winning, there's yeah. no justice, there's no rationale. Once you know they sick lawyers on you, whether they they know what those lawyers are up to or not, who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. Like you know, she claims that her lawyer that there was a difference between her and her lawyer, but ultimately you hired them, so <laughs> yeah, so and, it's you. They're representing yeah. you, right? So and, you're doing this to me. You're trying to bankrupt yeah. me out of my house. And she and she she could have. And this goes for any divorce, but she could have stopped it. Yeah. You, yeah. you 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 could always say you know what I got half I'm good no she wouldn't do that and this right. is a young person but look I'm I'm over most of that but the way I got to to Air America was yeah. that you know this guy reaches out I didn't want to go work for them again mm-hmm. and he had this pitch he said there's a new money guy here and I think we should try this and I'm like if you can get me the money I used to get when I was doing that show there uh, uh, on air or around that money and you can get them to give me this much up front so I can stop this hemorrhaging of money if I can just give me this amount of money up front so I can give it to her and end this. Yeah. So that was part of the, the, Why the, reason, 
the reason I took the gig. When we're talking about the podcast. No, I'm talking no, about the thing that actually led to the podcast. Gotcha. See, okay, yeah, yeah. So I go to Break Room Live, and gotcha. they, 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 they give me a you know, contract of salary, and they give me the amount of money I need to stop her. Wow. That's was in a, cash. That drove you wanting to take that gig. Yeah, it was a big part of it. That, that, that's amazing. and it, 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 It's because I was running out of money. I was going yeah, broke. And it was like this weird thing. Like, it, I, I don't know if it's going to be successful. I, I'm not really emotionally wow. or creatively able to do this. But it can stop this. And it was some forum to still be creative. You weren't going to, like, go work at Best Buy. Like you no, no. To, I didn't really know what I was going to do. But that was, you know, that became more when that ended. You, you know, that you kind of, you know, I got that gig. But, and it, they, the, you know, I stopped her. I gave her the money. We ended that. And then I pulled in Sam Cedar because I didn't feel like talking about politics anymore, and I knew he would. That's what Air America was, right? Liberal. Yeah, it was, but they were trying to branch out, and the idea was we'll do something like the Daily Show, you know, for streaming video before streaming video really worked, if it even really works now. (laughs) So no one was really watching this thing. And Sam, shut off off the cameras. I guess we'll stop (laughs) taping this. Right, Marin said so. Do you? No, you don't tape. (laughs) But uh, you know, but it it wasn't. We couldn't get an audience really, and Sam was you know difficult but brilliant, and you know, and, and it became. A sort of fraught situation, yeah. uh, not just because of me and Sam, but because we couldn't get traction, and right. we were we were you know spending a lot of money, we were making a lot of money, but they they shut it down after a year because they ran out of money, and we had a year contract, and you know I didn't want to deal with uh, politics anymore. I didn't want to really move on with Sam and another project. Why were you we over were, politics? I'm sorry, just. Because the narrative of it just is tedious, and, and it's, it's very unoriginal narrative. So okay. unless you really feel it in your heart that it's your duty to, uh, to talk politics every day, then, you know, what, what are you really doing? Yeah, right? and that has to be weird being with a company like that where it's like nothing but politics. Well, they, at that, like point, at that point, day. they hired Montel Williams. I mean, at that oh, wow. point, it was over. You know, this was the... You, know, this was <laughs> you hear the, that? You hire Montel Williams, <laughs> it's over. Kind of, if you're a political <laughs> network. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So what, what ultimately what happened was that, you know, politics became a little more washed down because the new guy was, was sort of clueless. Mm-hmm. You, know, wh- you know, his heart was in the right place. He was, a, you know, a liberal guy with a lot of money that, you know, wanted to see if he could, you know, make it work. And he brought in radio consultants who were, you know, uh, nebulous in terms of their political beliefs. Yeah. But they were radio guys. And radio yeah. guys really, at that level, radio consultants and executives are probably the, the shadiest, worst people in the world. Oof. And, and I, I can vouch. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, you just don't know. What, yep. They're hustlers, you yeah. know. And it's like it's a medium that was always built on a hustle. You know, like, you know, there was a lot of kind of like. Not quite payola, but the way radio works, it's, it, you know, in terms of getting it on the air, where is it going to be on the air, who are we going to mm-hmm. get involved with, the, who's going to, you know, advertise, are they going to advertise, you know, how do we, you know, there's a lot of, of spinning of numbers and things. The show radio. is secondary, yeah? Well, no, it's not secondary, but it, it, it's, the landscape of radio was such a hustle. Yeah. You know, it was, it, and it was not, you know, it's, it's this, um, it's it's definitely part of show business, and it's a you know, and I have a lot of respect for radio jocks and personalities because it's a tough gig, yeah. and when they're good, they're great. Yeah. Even if you don't like the show, even if it's like, uh, even if it's not your cup of tea, that radio professionals are when they when you got a good morning crew or an afternoon crew, it's really exciting to be part of it. It's exciting to do it, mm-hmm. but you know, the next level, general managers, consultants, you know, radio business guys. It's just a, it's a creepy world. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, but but yeah. so so ultimately, what happened is as the thing began to hemorrhage money, you know, that he brought in these guys and they were like, "Well, we got to get just we just got to get shows on the air somewhere." 
So then it became less about politics and more about general life stuff. But they wouldn't put me on the radio again. They would not put me or Sam, guys who were there at the original Air America, on the radio. We were sitting there doing a video project that was seen as a separate thing. And even when they had fallouts, even when they had to fill a spot, they wouldn't put us on the air. What was their holdback? Who the fuck knows? Be honest, <laughs> but but it doesn't didn't matter. You no, know, I yeah. didn't I didn't really want to do it. I really just was. I thought you know, I had moments where I thought maybe this thing could work that we were doing the break room idea that we were just in the break room. We were having guests. By the way, is the break room where you snorted coffee for yeah. seventy bucks? Yeah. If you haven't seen Mark <laughs> Marin on YouTube snorting coffee for seventy bucks, mm-hmm. and it's not just like they laid down coffee and they go, "All right, this is what's happening. We're live in the break room. Marin's about to snort coffee." No, no, it happened very organically. It looked like. Yeah. Well, I mean, me and Sam would do these things because we had to lighten it up because Sam Cedar left to his own devices. You're going to get out in the weeds with, you know, real lefty shit, right. uh, you know, uh, with political narratives that are very esoteric. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not important or, or they're not relevant to some people, but it just was not what I wanted to do anymore. So I was just finding ways to lighten the shit up. <laughs> I mean, we had a, you know, losing weight competition. We had, you know, but uh, I'm not proud of all that. <laughs> You were the original Biggest Loser. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it was like, but we, the show, it's 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 all still sits out there. We yeah. did some interesting uh, taped pieces with Matthew Weiss. You know, we did some short, you know, commercial parodies that were okay. Does that bug you at all that that you get to a point now with? I mean, your own show, season four, man. By the way, May fourth, yeah. which we'll get into. Uh, uh, but what? Uh, do you like old like stuff that does does live on the internet now that you did back in the day? Do you ever go, God, I wish I could figure out a way to take that down? Or are you like, no, that was not really. You know, you know, like not not. I I don't uh, think about that too yeah. much. I mean, there's stuff that sort of surprises me when I see it. But you know, anyone's you know public um, evolution, it's okay if it's out there. It's not like yeah. you know everyone's going to see it. You know, like the the saddest thing is you think, like, I kind of don't want that out there. And then you go and it's from 10 years ago and no one's looking at it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the video of you chasing cats still only has like 8,000 hits. Yeah, you're no like, one cares. So you're, you're, like, you're like, how is no one Googling Mark Marin chasing cats? Yeah. Well, they that needs now. to happen. Yeah. 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 But there was a funny moment there when you just see Monkey run by the gate. Like, you, you know, like when I'm looking for him. But, uh,. <laughs> You got. That's what you got to do. You got to do commentary now on these old videos. I mean, but I had all long hair and I was all sad. Oh, was and that was like that was after break room, and what? What? But ultimately, what happened there was like really when the divorce hit and when I, you know, I took that job for break room. It was pretty bad because like I was a comic. I dedicated my life to it. You know, I was serious about it and I was pretty good at it. And I was, you know, known but not popular. And, you know, like, and when you're going through a divorce and you're watching your money drain away and you realize, like, I got no, you know, dates booked. I don't have relationships with comedy clubs. I'm not a ticket seller. You know, that became very scary. So after break room, though, what ultimately happened was that the I brought back the guy when I went to Air America, not knowing anything about radio and was the morning show. You know, I became the, the driver of the morning show. One of the associates producers was this kid, Brendan. Uh, you know, who came out of WNYC, which is New York Public Radio. He was a very bright guy. And he, he was like 24 or maybe when I, when I met him, when I, we were all just starting Air America. Yeah. 
And so he was there at the beginning, you know, producing me, producing comedy with me for that Air America show. And then when, you know, I got fired from Air America and there were some people within it that set me up with a show out here in the middle of the night at KTLK. You know, Brendan came out and lived here for a few months away from his wife to produce that show for me. On his own accord, or did you ask him? No, I asked him <laughs> when I got him paid, but like I needed Brendan. He was your Robin to your stern. Yeah. Well, he wasn't on air. Right. So, he, okay. no, he was more like he was my producer. Right. And, you know, he's the smartest guy I know, really. So then, like, you know, after that happens, he gets, you know, he's got to get a real gig. He's married. He wants to start a family. So, you know, he's working at Sirius in a pretty big capacity. He's he's producing, I think, Rosie O'Donnell's show. Oh, shit. And then he went wow, on to... Um, Koochball Central. Uh-huh. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, she used to throw Koochballs oh, in the okay. audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a, well, that, that, no, this was a serious show. This was the radio show. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just I was trying a lame attempt at comedy. Oh, oh. It, 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 I'm it, sorry. It, am I rambling on too much? No, no Brad's sorry. a big Rosie O'Donnell fan and tries every moment to insert some sort of Rosie reference. Oh, oh really? Are you? I mean, you know, she 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 she, she was uh, home for uh, daytime. She was the Oprah Oprah alternative. No, I I think she was great. <laughs> but so Brendan's working there. <laughs> I got I got no beef with her. No, no. I, I certainly don't want to piss off no, Rosie no. O'Donnell in any way. No, Even just, when she doesn't have a platform, I don't want to piss off. I just love that transition. Cool, Brad. You love that. Anyway. All right, but, so. Uh, so Brendan's working there, and then he gets a job at MS, MSNBC. Right. And he's producing the Ed Schultz show. He's doing television yeah. production now. He's doing well. He's a bright guy. He's a capable guy. And then when, uh, you know, what happens? Oh, that was after the MSNBC. What happens is that he's at Sirius making good bread, and when I got the gig on on for this streaming video thing i'm like you know if this guy's got money we gotta bring brendan back and get him the, whatever money he needs so yeah. let's just milk this guy the guy with the money to you know build the, yeah, like yeah. get everybody paid go. and get get a crew that i can trust in there so they bring brendan back in and we're doing this show that's doomed but we're in there every day <laughs> we're doing the work you know we're shooting How do you what, what do you say to yourself every morning when you just know you're going in being like god this sucks and well like, i mean but you're having fun you're engaged with people okay. we're sitting in an office even when me and sam were fighting you know you always crack me up yeah i'm learning things brendan's like you know we're going through news we're you know you're engaged do you know in the moment because uh, that you are like building experience and, and developing like you know the interact the way that you're interacting with people like obviously like you know, is now paid off, obviously, for what you're doing. But do you know in the moment, or do you do you just, like, do you have that foresight to be like, all right, I'm... I have no foresight for anything. Right. Nothing. So, like, all I knew is that we couldn't get anyone to watch this fucking thing because no one knew how. And every, right. you know, and every time you put the streams in, we're sort of like, nah, it's, I think it's on. You know, you don't even know if it... Is it going out? Oh, we, God, you don't even... So there's, there's, yeah. no, there's no way to gauge anything. You know, we'd have comment boards and, like, you know, these same nine people. I'm like, <laughs> well, we got them. <laughs> you know, they seem to be watching go. right now in real time in the middle of the day this big shirt uh, we thought we were breaking new ground it's a live show at whatever time we were fucking doing it nine people <laughs> so you're doing 1 a.m comedy store original room spots well, kind day. of but yeah. it was in the middle of the day like yeah. i think the most we got was 1500 people watching live and then you could go to it and we pay we had a lot of money the guy gave us a lot of fucking money dude you know like we built this <laughs> website for like thousands of dollars you know mm -hmm. to house this whole thing i mean it was a big undertaking and i started to feel a little like oh god you know like you know, <laughs> Like, because that's the kind of stuff that sits out there. Yeah, right. And I, you know, and I don't mind any of that shit being out there because some of it was funny shit, and, and my relationship with Sam is very funny, uh, even though it was really contentious at times. Yeah. Mm. But I had him last year on an episode of Marin, and we're we're still friends, and I have a lot of respect for him. But the point being that Brendan and I, you know, like this is the this is like one of the greatest parts of of the story about about WTF for me is that. 
you know, neither one of us were, were business guys. You know, we, you know, I, I don't know from anything. I, I just, you know, I know I want, I need to make a living. And, you know, and if I make money, I put it away because I'm a comic and I don't know when the fuck it's going to go sure. or when things are going to dry up. So that's consistent with most of us, by the way. Don't you think most of really strong creatives? Yeah, of are just no, like- but some people like I've known guys that get a deal for, for relatively big money and right away they're like, um, this, it's on. And they go fucking buy the cars and they buy the houses and then it's off. Yeah. And they're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You you uh you mentioned recently on a podcast that you were like Judd Apatow said to you, like, when when are you gonna get the big house? Well, yeah, like, it's Steve Brill, I think yeah, it was okay. like when are you gonna when are you gonna, you know, kinda you know move up. Yeah. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> I, I don't have to play this fucking game. Yeah. <laughs> like I know I got enough money maybe to, to die with. What, what why fuck with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean I would like to know how to have a good time. I do I do you know, I don't my mother is even like, just spend some money. Like and I'm like, I'm, not, I'm what? You know, like like I could get my my beat up old house fixed, but then I got to like, where am I going to live? It sounds aggravating. Yeah. So like, I'm just I got a problem with anxiety and, and an inability to yeah. really know how to have a good time. I, I remember right before you had Obama on, you were vacationing in Hawaii, and you and you were kind of being frustrated <laughs> on the beach. Like I'm here in Hawaii, I should yeah. be having yeah a lot of fun, but I'm not. <laughs> like, well, I, I can have fun. I yeah. can, I can relax, but you know there is like I always think I'm getting screwed somehow. Like you, you know, there is. <laughs> You know, on some level, like, you know, uh, like, and I'm trying to change that part of my brain, Mm -hmm. you you know, because if you spend money, you can usually have nice things, but like, even when you have nice things, you're like, are they that nice? You know, like, I feel that way every time I buy a candle. I'm like, I feel like I'm doing pretty well. I've got six going right now. Got a lot of candles. You're a candle guy. I'm a candle guy. Maybe that's something I need to get in. No, but I mean, I bring you joy in any way. It fills a hole, but it's like, (laughs) it's not. That's easy, man. (laughs) I'm bringing a bunch of candles. Uh, you know, some people do heroin. Uh, yeah. Adam, I'm a candle. Yeah, some Adam people does are cooking spoons on top of these candles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're not holding spoons over these you, candles. You think I bought right. vanilla almond because it smells good? It's great for yeah, burning, for burning, it. <laughs> melting that dope. Oh, the crack just smells so great yeah. when you do it that what, way. What about like a, a hot tub or something? Like, are you that type of where you get? Like, How many times do you really use that? You know, like uh, like my I grew up in my, my uh, we had a pool at the house. And there was a hot tub, and like I can't remember getting into the fucking thing maybe three <laughs> times. You know, it, it all just like I, what I see from most people. Like if you really know what you like, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I like to play guitar, I like to listen to music, yeah. so I've got good equipment for that stuff. But people are sort of like, I got the pool, and then you like, you know, you never really do you go in the pool. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you need you got friends. a pool here. Uh, we, right outside. Yeah. How, how's that going for you? Get in there. Can I be honest? I've been here three years. I've been in four times. So why the fuck would it be different if you have one in your house? Either you swim or you don't. Yeah. yeah. I agree. But, okay, but the point is, here's what, what I was getting at, is yeah. that, so after Break When Live, that was when, you know, like you were saying, that there were four or five, there were a lot of people doing podcasts, but not a lot, but there was some that, it was sort of like, there were guys taking a shot at it, you know, radio yeah. guys, Kevin, uh, Jimmy Pardo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never Jimmy Dore, uh, you know, there were guys doing it, you know, so I'm like, what do we take, dude, let's figure this out, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I, I'm good on the mic, so let's, let's do it, so me and Brendan start doing this thing. So we make a commitment to each other and, and to, you know, the show that, like, I don't know what it's going to be or what it's going to turn into, but we're going to do it every Monday and Thursday, and that's all we know. It's going to be a new show every Monday and Thursday. That's the commitment. You figure out, you get in touch with iTunes, Brendan, you produce this show, you cut it, you put it all together, figure out the wow. technology of it, and I'll do the thing, and, and, then, and then you produce me. You laid all that out initially. That was like... 
Well, yeah, when we got into it, it's like Monday and Thursdays. That seems to be the right amount. Not mm-hmm. too long a show, so people can space it out over the week. Now, where do you get And we that, can build an audience. Where do you get that business savviness to just go? We're radio guys. Okay. okay, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so, you have to have that type of a commitment with any sort of new endeavor. But we, yeah. knew, we, didn't want to, we knew we didn't want to do radio. Right. We wanted to utilize the medium to have the freedom that it implies. So we didn't want to do a radio show. And if you listen to the first 10 or so, there's, you know, there's shorter interviews. There's phoners. There's people hanging around. Mm-hmm. We tried segments a bit. Yeah. And then, you know, once I moved out here and bought mics and, you know, we, there was even for a good while, there was a third segment that was like a Kaufman-esque, is it real, is it not real segment with these guests that were, you know, made up or not, that I'd get improvisers to play these guys and we'd play it real. Some of them are pretty disturbing. <laughs> and then, who, who would come on those? I can't. Uh, we did. Uh, there was a guy named Dave Waterman who was... Um, you know, he was an improviser, and he did work with Cedar in, in some of Cedar's movies when Cedar was still doing comedy, and he was part of, uh, you know, pre-Mr. Show stuff. He was around Boston, and he was out here, and he did a couple of guys. Like, he did a guy who kind of tracked me down on Facebook that I went to third grade with, and I <laughs> and I used to bully him. And, like, and, it, and basically the whole angle was him talking to me about how it destroyed his entire life. What, what <laughs> And, and then, how are you? How and you are played you it real. I played it all real. Like oh, people, wow. a lot of people don't know that it wasn't real. And there was another guy That's that brilliant. smoked. Uh, what's that shit that you smoke? Uh, that gives you that weird uh, ayahuasca. Uh, it's not ayahuasca, but it's something like that, where you do a hit of it and it blows your mind for I'd about be, three minutes. I'd be and then you come back, and then you come back. Uh, uh, it's uh, uh, some like it was a thing. Molly, uh, you watch people. There's videos of dust? people. I don't know. No, it was something. <laughs> but like I had a guy, you know, I had him do the same thing where he was going to do it on the air. Yeah. So, like, he did it, and he just says, Gah. you know, like, he, you, we just played it. You, you can do anything with audio, and it was just spectacular. Sure. And people you, would, I mean, buy all this. Well, you, no, I, I got a tweet the other day. It's like, come on, just tell me, was that real or no? <laughs> like, this years later, and I don't, I don't say. Well, That's yeah, because, I mean, that, and it, it, it's, it, it's sort of a throwback to old school radio. Exactly. It's theater, it's theater of the mind. Oh, yeah, it's like where a, you a guys, Orson Welles shit, man. Yeah, it, it, it Right, uh, the war, the war of the world, right. where the Martian invasion yep. is happening, and you're like, "What well, is, is it really happening? Is it really happening?" Like, oh, it's so easy to do on on radio. Yeah, so you're, you're just you're really experimenting and taking advantage. We did of. that for a while. We did. I did some with Matt Walsh. We had a family come on. That was uh, was uh, was it Matt? There was some of the UCB guys. Jerry Minor did one. Um, Jerry Minor. Yeah, uh, you know, I was just really tapping into that world trying to get my footing yeah. you know with this podcasting before it just became an interview show and at what point do you start to go okay now these segments and stuff are kind of i want to kind well, of well they were just sort of tedious to book and, yeah. and i was you know having you know good time just talking to people and then it sort of became what it was but but with brendan like you know at the time and i believe we can talk about it now is that you know he had a real job he's got a wife he's got a life and you know he was working as a, a producer on the uh, ed schultz show and then, you know, later with and the Chris Hayes show on MSNBC, you know, yeah. he's he's a real bright fucking guy and a great, you know, producer, but just a solid dude. I, he's one of those guys where it's like, how do you keep up with all this shit? How do you, you know, how do you compartmentalize everything and know all this shit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a good producer because, you know, if I don't know something, I'm like, just t- tell me what, what I think about this. <laughs> <laughs> You What's know, my like, take, Brandon? Yeah, exactly. Like, because, you like, hate you know, it. where, yeah. Well, well kind of. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if I'm not keeping up with a story, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, what are the angles on this? You know, what, how, how do I, you know, show me, you know, what are the issues here? And yeah. that was part of the political thing. So, sure. So, but, you know, now it's a little less like that. But, you know, we'll definitely have discussions about, 
certain guests and how to approach it. Do you ever ask him, like, when you're about to have a guest on, you're like, all right, this guest is coming on. Do I hate this guest? No, no, no. I I know that kind of stuff. Are we friends? But, like, like, you know, and I'm pretty intuitive about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you you know, know, and certainly emotionally, I think with guests and with what I do, it's, it's all intuition. But, like, if I... If I have a guest I don't know a lot about, but he's more familiar with, I'm like, give me, give me a little breakdown, you know, of, yeah. of, you know, give me some points that I should be looking at. Yeah, that's what a producer does. But you know, usually it's primarily just very nuanced, you know, shaping of the show. But what I was getting at in terms of, you know, our pride around the show is that neither one of us were business guys. He was a guy that was going to do real well, but he was a company guy. Yeah, and you know, and I was a comic. And then, you know, with podcasting, there was no real way to make money. And we were all sort of, you know, at the beginning, dude, you know, we all we we had an uh, almost like a public radio package. Like if you donate, we'll send you some T-shirts. So like there were periods at the beginning where, you know, my house was filled with bo- you know, envelopes that I was sending out to hundreds of them to to listeners who were donating a certain amount of money. Wow. And I would sit there at the house with a roommate I had at the time to help me pay for my fucking house, this girl, uh, Anastasia, and we were packing bags, you know, and mailing shit out. No kidding. Yeah. Like, there were hundreds of them. It was, like, insane. I love how, like, it, it's weird the questions that we get when we're on the road, like, hey, who like who books your podcast? We're like, us? Yeah. We're like, oh, well, who does all the mails and stuff? Like, well, we have a social media guy, but it's mostly us telling him. Right. What to, it's like, it's all in-house. Right. And as, as stripped down as terrestrial radio is it's not that many people working in a radio station oh like, no like it, especially now yeah and so it's even oh you more- go to, yeah you go to those clear channel places you're like there's no how come no one's in that studio? yeah who's running this place? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's empty so like and that's what people i mean i i'm sure people hear your podcast now and think like oh wow he had louis on he had julie we drive us he had the president like there's probably a whole production office like no it's still the same it's pretty much me garage. and brendan and yeah. you know and we work with producers but like as the medium evolved and we you know we were sort of there trying to figure out you know how to make money mm-hmm. like because you know we had like just coffee.coop and yeah. we had one or two advertisers and we were dealing with some of the terrestrial ad agencies mm-hmm. uh, to try to book out ads but you know we still when we started to get numbers there were a lot of podcasters trying to figure it out like do you do you put up a paywall you can't if you want to build an audience yeah. so we did the app thing and that worked for a while mm-hmm. and then as the audience grew and the model became bigger and mid-roll you know jeff ulrich you know a, an unsung hero of this medium created uh, mid-roll uh you know that that sort of changed things and we went exclusive with them but the evolution of the business model you know happened it was something we had to learn we were not businessmen and here we were now you know now we have a small business somehow and uh, and it's profitable and and one there's no real blueprint no there wasn't and there wasn't but you know but it became clear that the numbers you know, that on a basic level, not unlike radio or television or anything else, that, you know, you can get solid numbers. Yeah. Like, you know, you know more than you know or more than they wanted anyone to know on Terrestrial. Mm-hmm. You know, they were doing that Arbitron book shit for years, just spinning those numbers any way they wanted. And sure. none of them were based on, you know, anything really that tangible. Really? But no. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. Th- th- but, you know, with, with podcasting, it's like, look, you know your download numbers. You just got to go check the fucking server. This is how many went out. I don't know when they're listening or how they're listening or if they're listening, but this is how many went out. You know, yeah. and this is this is a big number. So you make a rate sheet and you're like, this is what it's worth. 
and we started to see real results. Like when you know, just I carried over just coffee from Break Room because we couldn't get sponsors on Break Room except for this coffee co-op in Wisconsin. <laughs> and we and that's the whole coffee thing. Yeah. We would we would give them advertising for coffee. They would send us coffee, and we would they would we just sell the shit out of it. <laughs> there you go. And maybe a few hundred dollars a month, you know. And we something and, though. And we, yeah, we were like we got a sponsor. So when I started doing the podcast, I'm like they're coming. So they, and I've not you know and I it was never a guarantee when I would do it or what but yeah. you know i started doing the power just shit my pants it was thing, great. Mm-hmm. and they weren't happy about that necessarily <laughs> really but, a coffee company wasn't yeah. happy that you were that yeah, you, you created have a catchphrase and like yeah, a, i did and here's yeah. the thing is that this was one of the moments where we knew like we had something is that you know it it turned their whole web business uh, around like you know all of a sudden because of the this show because of just of what the fuck you know they you know they were making a lot of money wow and then you, you know they that like still to this day he told me the guy who, who started just coffee has moved on to another business just recently he wow said, i still you're think, welcome yeah right <laughs> i still think that the wtf blend is the number one selling coffee on the website there wow. you go but wow. but, but then you sort of make you shit your pants <laughs> right <laughs> but then you started to realize like of course this is the power of this thing this is the bright this is sure. what your radio was built on in a way so ultimately what what i'm getting at is the joy of of doing it outside of of creating this thing that a lot of people have a very personal relationship with and and has a lot of impact on their life week to week and day to day, hearing the struggles of famous people or my struggles or however they're taking it in. It's a very personal format, very much what so. we do. Yep. Yeah, and so that's what? I was just going to say, and you've always been so personal, whether yeah. it be uh, the stuff on the TV show that's semi-autobiographical or the segments at, at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, or your or your stand up. Yeah. Is, is it weird when fans know so much about you? It, it was. You know, there was a lot of struggles that I had to deal with. Like, you know, because I always still saw myself as a comic, and now I'm I'm getting popular in this other way. And you know, I I didn't want my comedy to 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 be lost or or not you know relevant. And then like it, it eventually it started to not matter because like li- literally if people come up to me and go I love your show like I don't know what they're talking about and I I don't want to be a dick and go like no, what which, which one, one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the but- podcast or like so I got. Used that's to not the, being a dick, though. That's I mean, you know. No, but it's fine. No yeah. matter which one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I got used to that element that they had a relationship with me that was one sided, and I can respect that and be as gracious as possible. Sure, because people could come up to you and literally be like, "Hey, how's it how's going the plumbing? With, yeah, yeah. How's, how's the plumbing? How's yeah. the cats? You get that the... driveway fixed? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's... yeah, that's a radio thing too in a certain way. But yeah. like, uh, you know, and I just try to be polite and and. And, and, you know, and hear them out, you know, and, and be as available as possible in those moments. The, the, the biggest, the most exciting thing for us was really that we, here we were with a business that the medium was actually establishing itself as a business. And we were part of that and, you know, and, and, and part of, you know, figuring it out for ourselves. And the thing was, is that Brendan, when we were doing the show, he, he had a full-time job at MSNBC as a yeah. television producer. So he was actually producing my show on his own time. Like wow, he couldn't even, well, he couldn't even be public about being part of it, oh, and uh, you so know, he couldn't even really be advertising the medium. Like he couldn't be telling. No, I, I just I couldn't mention him and shit, you yeah. know, because you know it was not it was uh, it was not it was there was it was against the rules, wow. you know. So he would t- you know do this on his own time, and I would just sort of um, you know do my thing, mm-hmm. and then like one day he was like, "I'm coming on WTF full time," and I'm like. 
Are you sure we we can do that? Like, because I, I felt responsibility. Like, you got wife, and yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, family. You know, you get you just had a baby, or you know, I don't know when the baby came, but I'm like, are you sure you don't have to, dude? Hey, you got to feel fine. a little trepidatious to be like, now look, your I'm life a comic. Is, yeah, you know, I got nothing to lose. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you seem to be a you know grounded <laughs> yeah. dude, but he would never make a decision like that if he didn't feel confident. In yeah. It. So when he did that, and then like. You know, then it worked out, and you know he put all his energy into it, and we kept building it out. That gives you more confidence, right? Well, for the whole product. Well, yeah, but yeah, no, I felt great, but okay. I just wanted to make sure he was going to be taken care of. Yeah, and uh, and then like you know, like he he had a kid, and the kid's a few years old now, and and uh, you know he just bought his first house, and like the pride that I have about that, you know, that he's you know able to have this life on his own terms. You know, with the thing that we yeah. built, like wow. it, like it, it chokes me up. You know, like I'm like I'm so happy for him. You can cry. And no then, one's cried on this podcast <laughs> yet. But like he, I'm did, always crying. Yeah. <laughs> but like he doesn't have any other job now. It's just no, producer yeah, and him. Fucking WTF. incredible. You bought another person a house. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we I couldn't do it without him. Like you know, sure. like there's never. Any conversation we have about not doing it or him not doing it, I'm like, you know, if it, you know, let me know when it's done. You know, if it, you know, uh, you know, if you're ready to stop, you know, I'm stopping too. Wow. Like, there's never, you know, it's just a fifty-fifty partnership. Really? You would, yeah, been. you would not. Because if Brad, you know, if Brad like drowned in my pool tomorrow, I would find another dwarf yeah. ASAP. <laughs> they find him on Craigslist. Craigslist. All the time. There are They're so available. many dwarves looking to podcast. Talking dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> need, need talking dwarf. No, I. That's all. That's all, all, all we got. I mean, I feel the same way. Uh, you know, we're we're on this together. But I mean, that's. I uh, at what point in WTF do you go when you were talking about getting numbers and going like oh now we're kind of building some steam like at what point what episode number did you go oh I feel like or were you starting to get recognition and there's articles and there's maybe it was a guest that made you go there was a lot of those there was a lot of those points because like you know like I said that we were just fortunate I'm not sure I said it this way but we were fortunate in the cosmic timing of it that you, you know that because of you know that podcasting was new there were certainly other podcasters out there. But you know, we started to get attention with certain guests, and in the beginning, in the first one hundred, there was, you know, there was the Zach and the Conan, and you know, yeah. I was using, you know, and 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 so it was getting attention in other mediums, mm-hmm. and there was always that. There was a slow build of people that brought attention to the medium by being on my show. I remember being blown away when you would get found and Tina Fey and Wolf. I was like, I didn't get I, Tina, but uh, did you but get I, Tina Fey? No, no, not yet. Have you? No. Right. So uh, <laughs> I love that you asked, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Conan episode was the one that the, what was the one that got right. me hooked. Yeah, and it was great. You yeah. know that these and the, the tone of things just because of my kind of neediness and 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 you know wanting to be okayness. That sometimes I say the first hundred is really just me having celebrities over to help me with my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you were, but you did what you had to do in that point where you were just using all your personal the, yeah, relationships. Yeah, yeah. But, and, but it built the yeah. it built the tone of it, which is like real conversation that wasn't really an interview, right? And you know, I've tried to kind of you know keep that going because I like I need to be engaged with it. Like I know when I'm not, and I you know I know when you know now having done so many when. Yeah, I don't really care what what it's about when it happens, but I need it to be connected and real. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me 
what they're talking about. If they're excited and I'm excited and we're in it, then that's fine. Let's just keep that going. And I love that you refer to it as a great talk and not. Yeah, no, I can't that's... do. I you're, like when people go, "You're a great interview." I'm like, nah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> conversation. I'm pretty good at say, talking right? to yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like, do you? I mean, you, you do like a little bit of research. Or, sure. You know, I mean, I get a sense of who they are. I like to know where people are from, so mm-hmm. I can make up a life for them. Like you, know, you would go to of... the tree. Like if you had Brad on, you would go to the tree he was born in, and then you would to <laughs> yeah. find out. Sure. Well, see, like that's new to me. I had no idea he was born in a tree. And you know and, what? There's a lot of things you don't know about me, Mark. Uh-huh. <laughs> Brad, Brad was part of one of the funniest moments I ever saw happen on radio. Actually, oh well, I, I don't even know what this do is. Do tell. It was um, what was this? What, was this backstage at? Uh, it was at O and A back when oh, before right. uh, before Anthony you know, went off yeah. the grid. This was at the Montreal Comedy Festival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before Anthony, you know, uh, before whatever happened to Anthony happened to, happened Anthony. to Anthony, right? You know, yeah. Anthony, when you subtract the anger and racism and. And, and he's kind of dubious and, politics. Very funny guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> just well, you're, take you're, away all, all, all he that said, stuff. He had a, an off-the-cuff comment that I, I cannot get over the brilliance of it because I, I remember it and I, and I tell the story where you were talking about how some of the other little people got mad at you for using the word midget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they were, you, you know, that... <laughs> And and, and and I don't remember what the whole setup it was, but Anthony goes, Uncle Tom Thumb. <laughs> and I was, I was like, holy fuck. That's about the best fucking off the cuff thing. That's pretty good. So yeah. situational. Yeah, and God. you can't... It, that's not a joke that he's like, well, I've used that three other times no. that I just brought back, you know. It was just so... Like, I, I used it once with Warwick Davis, and then yeah. I brought it back when you were on, Brad. It was no big deal. And and, and that and that was a crazy moment, how that whole thing developed, because uh, they were... I was just in the audience to watch the show, and then they started talking about it. And then Jay Moore told us about this Brad Williams, who's really funny, who's here at the Montreal Comedy Festival. And I just stood up and went, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of strange, because that's kind of how I got discovered in stand-up was the same way, was uh, Mencia was on stage yeah. making midget jokes. And, yeah. and then I was in the audience going, hey! <laughs> so <laughs> That's like every, every milestone of my career is just me being in the audience going... You, you need a dwarf? <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Fuck, I just realized that. Kevin and Bean was the same thing. Yeah. I was in the audience of a Kevin and Bean show. Really? And they, yeah, and, and then I ran up on stage and, and humped uh, the leg of their Miss Double December. Yeah. That's oh, ev- oh, ev- ev- oh, wow. I mean, it, uh, see, Pete, e- even when people interview yeah. you, Mark. That's Barry, the name of your memoir, Ballsy Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that that fucking cover is gonna be great. Just me with two bowling balls in my pants. Just you want some of these? <laughs> at uh, wait, so at what point though do you do you go? You shift away from the segments and the um the it was, games I, I and know, go. All right, now it's a personal conversation because like it was when you get quick, you know, we were adding those and sometimes it was like sort of like well, either we could book one or we couldn't because we had to conceptualize that stuff. Sure, you know, I had to reach out to improvisers and go like, here's the idea. Let's just go with it, you know, like, you know, then, and, and, you know, you get good guys to do that, but it, it required more work, you know, mm-hmm. it takes, it's a lot of emotional sort of work for me to, you know, to show up uh, a lot of times because I go through a lot of panic and a lot of dread about talking to people and I don't know where anything's going to go. Really? And it's still like that. So the research, the research I do is like, I need to be familiar with what they've achieved. And if we're getting them on a junket and that's the reason that they're out doing press, you know, I don't really do a junket interview, but I, you know, sometimes I can use, you know, if I watch, if I have time to watch whatever they're promoting, I can sometimes use that as a, a, a window in. Like, you know, like I watched a movie and this, and then let's move back. Yeah, yeah. Or I can put, throw it in at the end. But like, we're pretty, people know the show now that they know it's not that kind of interview. But I think it just started to phase out. 
I don't mm-hmm. think there was an abrupt kind of like they're done. I'm done with that. It wasn't right. like when you know you, Louis you know choked up about his kids on the show or maybe having no. A- you know, like it, we did, we didn't have that. You know, we the context was pretty fluid. You know, it was me, you know, talking to somebody, and and I was pretty adamant about having you, you know a monologue that you you know that people either listen to or not. That's you know almost. It's always improvised. Sometimes it's edited. So but, therapeutic or what's Well, the- I just, I didn't, I, I, like, I still was not willing to, you know, to, like, my thought was, like, even though the, the talk doesn't happen without me, uh, I'm fundamentally a comic. So either, even if I'm not, and I'm a radio guy, so, and, and I wasn't, you know, a veteran radio guy, but, you know, I learned how to talk alone on the mic. I'm going to do that. So even if I'm just thinking out loud, even if it's not funny, even if it's just philosophical or, or just, uh, um, conversational, I want that space. You know, I want to have that 10 or 15 minutes of, of just talking about what's on my mind before I go into the interview for my own identity issues. It's, sure. an, it's an amazing skill, by the way. Like, I, you know, like we, I have to do that for our intros, but like, I'm more like uh, very seldomly will I really pepper in like, you know, um, reflecting on a weekend of shows or something that's going on. And it's more setting up the, right. the show and doing our, uh, right. you know, ads and, and uh, merch stuff and whatever. But so I, I admire the length that you can do it and, and be as articulate and thread your thoughts together and, and, and make yourself laugh and talk about things very candidly. And it's, uh, and it is really engaging. But it's well, like, yeah, yeah, some people don't like it because they, you know, everyone's going to come to it with what they come to it. Yeah. You know, like, we're, we're, this is about this person, this is about the interview. But whatever, a lot of people listen to it. But uh, I, I've, I've let go of whether they do or not. Sometimes I make jokes about it. But I was very <laughs> excited as a guy that w- was learning how to do radio, which I don't know that I was great at. But I, I do know that there are people whose personality works in this medium or it doesn't. It's just the way it is. That's the, you know, there's, no, there's no guide that's going to make you, even if you're a good, effective broadcaster, it doesn't sure. mean that your personality is going to come through. Who the fuck knows yeah. why that happens yeah. in comedy or anything else, yeah. why it works. There's plenty of talented people that can't surface because, I don't know, who knows why. If there was some sort of guide to that or, or key to it, uh, I guess everybody would be famous. Nobody <laughs> really has taught a podcast class. Like There are those stand-up classes. Is, is anybody else? they're doing well i never took a stand-up class either but i think that, that the idea is for most people it's like if they don't take a class they're like i can do that give me a mic all right well yep. go ahead knock yourself out same with stand-up <laughs> see what happens i right. mean there's a little less feedback loop in podcasting like you know you, you eventually as a stand-up though though i've seen many cases where where the delusion persists <laughs> that sure. people can continue doing it with with no success at all for years yeah and and you can't tell them that that it's not going to happen because I've seen plenty of guys, you know, six years in, all of a sudden figure it out. Yeah. Like, I've seen plenty of guys, like, you know, up there you know, being pedestrian, if not unfunny, click. Yeah. You know, they, what about 26 years in? Is that possible? <laughs> it is kind of. Sure. I mean, they're, 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 whenever young comics ask me for advice, like, if they should be going to comedy or not, I always say, well, if you're comfortable being poor between – Two and forty-five years, yeah. then you can be a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to really want it, yeah. You, <laughs> well, because it's like there, there, there's uh-huh. no, there's no guarantee. Well, the weird thing is, most of them, like, and, and the more I talk to you know people in comedy, like whether they're comics or sketch performers or whatever, but comics, like, you know, there, there. I think many of us just, you know, there was no other choice for some fucked up reason that yeah. you know once you sort of commit your life to it. You know, there's no, you know, you may think there's a plan B, but I used to do a bit about that. It's like, 
you, you know, when I when shit really hit the fan before I started the podcast, I'm like, you know, you know, there's there you, throughout your life, whether you really have one or not, there's always something in your mind with that you can do. Yeah. But you know, you get to you're in your mid 40s and things aren't working out, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, fuck this, I could always, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anything uh, else. It's so true. Yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of in this thing now. Yeah, you're a lifer. Well, I yeah. thought about that. Like my first when I graduated uh, acting school at USC out here, I got a day job playing Wolverine at Universal Studios <laughs> for five years, and then was a tour guide. Oh, love that. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it on your show. And so I, uh, I uh, yeah, I got stories for days. There are so many shows I've written about that. T- it's but like there were times when I was working there, and I was like, oh, I might like. I might be here for a while. And it was like the saddest like realization. I mean, literally, and in, the, in that moment, you're sulking and be like, what the fuck? And then you look over and a guy in a Captain America suit and a guy in a Shrek suit go, you ready? And then you're like, oh, shit. That, and then you, I mean, so it's like the, uh, but I can't imagine. And there are guys who did stay in that in their like 40s who are like still do the Blues Brothers show. And they're just, but they're very content with that. Oh, that's a, that's an actual, you know, probably secure gig with benefits. Yeah. Uh, we're, yeah, I mean, we're both, we're both theme park guys. He was a universal. What else are you going to do, really? I mean, exactly. <laughs> You had a few options, let's be honest. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was like a theme park free agent. They all came to me. They were laying out offers. Not uh, Knott's Berry Farm is like, we can give you a dental. Yeah. Uh, but, a free log ride. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there uh, there was actually another dwarf that was working at Disneyland when I was working at Disneyland who had been there for 30 years. Oh, yeah? And I was like looking at him like going like, is that my future? Yeah. Like if I decide to do this. And like, he thought he was doing great. Like, yeah. Billy Barty's my hero. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. My life is amazing. I watch Ariel twice a week. Who yeah. can say that in their yeah. life? Like, and there, there is that moment, and 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 we all get into it when we're. I'm, I, I'm sure when you were doing the comedy store when 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 you first got out here was that the late '80s, early '90s? Oh, the first time. Yeah, like yeah. you probably saw guys that were doing it. From, well, and the you, weird and, thing is, and, like, and I couldn't, like, I could not fathom. Like, I know, you know, what it looks like. You yeah. know, like I, you know, and and um. Yeah, I don't think I'm better than anybody else, mm-hmm. but uh, you know there was like a, a couple of things like those guys that have those gigs. I, there's, there's, I appreciate the work ethic of a guy that understands his limitations of his talent and has found something that they can walk into. If if I don't respect it, who gives a shit? Yeah, right. You know, if people are entertained and, and and you know they've got a family and they're they're meeting their ends, their their needs. You know, but well, good. Who am I to judge? Entertainment is entertainment. It's a vast fucked up world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's funny that you know I'll, I'll get back to it. But like the the like I did, used to do a joke years ago about a story about you know doing a show at the last weekend of a club in D.C. and there was a birthday party and they'd hired a guy in a gorilla suit to hand out balloons and shit. And I had this realization where I was like, my job's not that far from that. <laughs> like, you know, and, yeah. I, yeah. And, I play, no. and I played this out in my head where it's like, you know, what about the day where that guy's just sitting at home, you know, with his rental suit and, you know, the, the head is on the coffee table and he's having a cigarette. He's like, this is working out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy my own suit. You know, like that. Like I just had this whole scenario. Like it was a very funny, sad joke. But... um. <laughs> But no, but like you know, I like when I really was looking down the barrel of of, of being anonymous because I was never a guy that you know was going to write for television. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, like at that time I was trying to 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 understand where I was really at in my life when I started the podcast. Where it's sort of like I got to let go of these dreams. Like I got to let go of the idea 
you know, because all my, you know, a lot of my friends had gone on, but I was, I, I actually was able to let it go, and it was a very heartbreaking time because I had no real prospects. I, I didn't, I was not really that bookable, and I knew that like my future, if I was going to stay in comedy, would be struggling for B rooms, you know, and finding you know a way to you know continue to be a headliner just to earn a living, and it it it, it really was a devastating idea for me. Yeah, because yeah. I'm, like, I'm not I'm not begrudging anybody their work as a comic, but it, it seemed like you know. And there's got to be heartache in all of it because you want you want to be relevant mm-hmm. and you want to, to have success and earn a living. But I'd sort of like realize like I'm not going to be a, be a big comic. I'm not going to get a TV shot, you know. So you know, w- 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 and when I went into podcasting, there was no way to make money. But I had to keep working, and it wasn't about you know bringing people to gigs because I didn't have any. So like I just needed to, the same compulsion without foresight was to do that. But I was yeah. terrified of being a, a no name comic that wandered the country. But you weren't. I don't a, know if I. You weren't a no name a no name comic though, right? I mean, all these Letterman's and Conans. Yeah, but and, the, what what is that, that? Does that really add up though? I mean, I, I don't know how long you've been in the racket. Nine years. Right, but you know, like you, you know, really look at at the number of people that have had that who mm-hmm. who you don't know anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, really, I mean, that is something we can do. Uh, you know, that is part of our job is, is we hope we get uh, talk show appearances. That's sure. something a comic does. That's part of his job. What does that guarantee you? Nothing. Uh, what does it pay? A little bit. Uh, is, it, is it something to be proud of? Absolutely. But what does it imply about the rest of your career? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's a and that and that's a hard thing to come to grips with. But, yeah, there are those guys that uh, I hear them every now and then before going up at the comedy store or whatever, like, he appeared on Johnny Carson 32 times. And you're like, I have no idea There are great is. fucking comics yeah. that, that, like, the, the, the thing about, about comedy in a realistic sense is that if you're lucky, you know, you, 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 you find, you know, something happens for you. Mm-hmm. It may not be millions of dollars, you know, it, it, but it's something. Right. And you have a window where, you know, your, your popularity because of whatever clicks – you know, enables you to have you know a few years of success and some time as a as a road act that will that will draw. Mm-hmm. Now, holding on to that, see, that's why I always like after studying this, you know, there's only ten guys at a time that are you know going to sell you know five thousand seats. Right. But there's plenty of other venues. There's plenty of other ways to do that. There's plenty of ways to make a living now. And comedy, a live comedy, is very healthy right now. It's good for a lot of people. Yeah. But but the truth is, is that if you Find some relevance or you find your break and things are happening, you know, save your fucking money, you know, and, and ride it out, yeah. you, you know, because I've seen it happen to guys. You know, there are some guys that continue to write new shit and, and, and stay in it and build a big ass following and hold it for a pretty long time, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. But it's not it's not the common story, you know, like it's just always been, you know, my my thought was like, you know, if you get that run, you know, bank it. Yeah. And then try to figure out what the hell happens next. Yeah. So what is it like to, I mean, living, do you consider it the darkest and lowest time for you when you had that moment where you go, all right, I'm not going to be this. I'm yeah, not going to. Like, I was so self-pitying and, and, and suicidal in a way because like the, like, cause I didn't, you know, the pride involved in stepping away from something you have dedicated your life to. Like, could I have gotten a job on a writing staff? I never think that way. I don't like asking people for help. I don't like relying on anybody. But when, you know, when my comedy career was seemingly very dried up, even though I did plenty of Conan's yeah. and even though I was funny, mm-hmm. and, you know, I wasn't connecting with a lot of people. 
Like it was not, you know, my comedy was not entertaining or 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 never got real traction. Like I would show up and some people knew me, whatever. And you felt not. like you were presenting the best of you, and you were it's like, the only this thing is... I knew how to do. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if it was the best of me. It was me at that time. Yeah. I mean, he saw it. You know, Brett Ernst was all excited. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Baron might blow his brains out on stage. <laughs> Come on, guys. Everybody, this never happens. <laughs> well, we used to love when it happened. It happens less now. If you, you've been a comic long enough, you're like, this guy's losing it. He's going to snap, man. He's going to be good. The, the, the morbid fascination of what it takes to entertain jaded comics. There, you know, like, oh, no there, 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 there's two things comedians enjoy watching. A, a, a guy absolutely destroying on stage, yeah. and then the guy that's like, wow, he may not live through the night. <laughs> That's exactly right. We, well put. Yeah, we we don't like to be. We don't like to see a solid middle. Like we don't like that. No, no, no. We, just like, we, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, we just want to be going home. Doesn't sound that good. <laughs> I don't know what, we just want to be going home taking bets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him tomorrow. I don't yeah, know. That's true. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so I, I um, yeah, I at that time, yeah, sure, it was the, the like, darkest yeah. time. And then because to, like I'm an old man, you know, I'm in my forties, and then you have that weird realization. You know, I got a brother that you know he's uh, he's two and a half years younger than me, and he had to enter the job market. You know, uh, again, you know, in his forties. Yeah. And so it, did you start talking brutal. to him about like other? Well, no, op- no, no. It's just it's like you know, well, most of us avoid reality yeah uh fairly effectively yeah for a good part of our careers for whatever fucking reason it takes a, a, a lot of delusion to com- to persist in this dumb sure. thing it allows but us to you- talk to women that are way hotter than we should get it allows and, and us not, to go up on stage and right. entertain and, strangers and do this and not have a fucking life that looks like anything that anyone can really relate to the fact that we're sitting there telling stories that you know we're trying to have, get normal people to relate to <laughs> given our fucking lifestyle yeah. it's like so you really you, you're really living a life i guess uh, yeah. I, you know i, I <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> Something. What did I? What did I do today? I, I, I tried not to jerk off for three hours. <laughs> I offered Mark Maron a straw. He didn't take it. I don't know what that means. We'll I talk about it after the show. That, that's because of Frank Santarelli. <laughs> No, I like to go for what? Well, like I used, I won't bring a straw anywhere. I will not use a straw at all. I did. I do want to say I did feel a little weird handing another man a straw and being like, "Here, use this." And there's like, no blow involved. <laughs> you wouldn't have felt that way if it was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a half a straw. No shame in handing the guy half a straw and saying like that. that third one's for me. Don't do all three. But uh, but no, I like at some point I was on stage drinking something. And uh, no, it wasn't Frank. Frank does a bit about actually drinking from a straw. About there's no way to look cool. Yeah. But someone I can't remember who it was. Like I was, they they came up to me after a show and they're like, "Don't, don't, don't, don't drink out of a straw on stage. It looks weird." And I'm like, "Really?" It's like, "Yeah, it's really weird." Like there's something about it. Neil like, Brennan right. does it all the time. Well, okay. <laughs> Are you trying to prove which which side of that? No, I think I'm just stating that somebody does it. Yeah. I guess there's a way to do it, but I, I, like, the I, side, just, I think he comes from it from the side, so it's not straight on. I think if you come straight on, <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta have a, a plan around it. You gotta have a style about it well, for that, sure. Well, that it all also it has to, cool. also has to be a look. I like I, I think if if Joe Rogan, who's the yeah. most like masculine of all men, like stops and like. Tries to like that's that's Santarelli's bit. Yeah, it's yeah, very funny. Yeah, like stick like stick the little straw cock. He was in his so mouth. funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Santarelli was so funny. Did oh. you guys know? Him? No, we, we didn't. He's a Boston guy. Because uh, yeah, he's cause... around still. He uh, you know he was on the he he played the bartender on the Sopranos. It was not a funny oh, yeah. part, but he was there. Yeah, he was there. But he used he's he was so funny. He used to he has such a great story. I mean, yeah, I had him on a live one. That's he's that's, and, that's that's where you started, right, Boston? 
Kind of, yeah. I yeah. started. I really started like after college. I came here and I was a doorman at the store, and I got fucked up on coke and lost my mind. And then I went back to where I went to college, and yeah, I cleaned up. I went to rehab, and I went back to Boston and started over. But yeah, that's where I started working professionally. Yeah. You were doing, so your coke stuff started at the store. In LA. No, 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 it started uh, in high school. Okay, but it got you know it, it definitely went to new levels. <laughs> Well, well sure. how so? I mean, well, I guess just L.A. the the backdrop. Of well, when you're hanging around people that you know can just keep getting coke. Yeah. You know, when you're younger, you're like, no, oh, fuck, I don't even have fifty bucks. And it was like, sort of like, but no, it was just a matter of uh, you know hanging out with you know Cannison and doing that whole thing and wow. thinking that like, yeah, I can do drugs. And then like the sleep deprivation and the amount of drugs that we were snorting, like I I got psychotic and things got ugly and weird. That and you're probably trying like you're seeing Sam Kinison do it and, and it's a peer oh, pressure yeah, great, thing. Great, wanna... great role model. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a peer pressure thing. I was like, you know, I made sure that like we always had the parties up at the house that Mitzi owned because like. Yeah. I like doing drugs, yeah. and these guys are bring drugs. So I'd be like, "Let me chop it." You know? Like, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. It's great. I didn't would you guys me. talk comedy when you would hang? Like, what were those parties? Oh God, like? it was fucking. You know, you'd, you'd listen to Sam talk about the. You know, the, oh, it was hours, the hours, long stories. It. Talking about the outlaw well, yeah, days, yeah, all of it, dude. Yeah, like yeah. you know, like Steve Pearl used to do a joke because. Because we'd go up there, and we'd do Monday nights were the no cover nights, so that was Sam's night, and all the riffraff would come, and then we'd go up to the house, and I, you know, I, he'd give me a couple hundred bucks, and I'd go buy booze and shit, and then sometimes they'd come up there, and it'd go on for two, three days, you know, just like just, oh, you know, crap. people would come and go, and it would just fucking be a just disaster of like you know horrible conversations that went on forever and weirdness and just like oh, see that's what I've heard like I've never done coke and I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do it because I just uh, I've had two bad trips on uh, weed brownies and that made me not want to even try anything that could oh it's so different make- though don't limit yourself <laughs> <laughs> You heard you heard it here, folks. But like Mark Maron says, do coke. Well, Why no, not? but also like I know that like Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors. If I somehow got at a party or some sort of situation and he was doing it, I would probably succumb to that moment. Well, I always thought that I was sort of like a, a, a drug warrior of sorts, and I always like thought I was on some sort of like you know rock and roll journey. So you know, meeting up with Kennison and I don't feel like telling the whole story again yeah, was yeah. like. But it was like it was funny because it became this thing that we you know we'd all be up there at the house doing it, and uh, one time Steve Pearl, who was this genius from uh, San Francisco, a really funny, yeah, you know, I worked him a bunch of times, yeah, he's, like he's, a savant. He's amazing. Yeah, you know, like I'd say, Steve, you're going to come up to the house. He goes, Why to listen to how Sam invented paper and the printing press? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, those are the stuff. So does it make you just? Uh, I mean. The coke is contributes to the the wild imagination of store. I mean, no, you just talk a lot, dude. Yeah. He was he was making a joke about just the indulgence oh, of okay, Sam yeah. talking. Yeah. Yeah. Sam didn't really think he invented the printing press. <laughs> no, hey, he invented the light bulb. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so then you you get cleaned up, and that your comedy takes a t- does it takes a turn for the better at that point. Yeah. Do you well, I feel- don't know. You know, I was a, you know I wanted to do comedy, and I got all fucked up, and I was you know at that time you know doormen were you know all we could do was work the belly room. The system was fairly specific you know if you were regular you might get spots in the in the or the main room but if you were a non-paid regular you know you had to we had to pull people leaving the main room up into the belly room wow to try to do a show for them up there that was our world the non-paid regulars could do shows in the belly room and she would book a schedule for it but it was really on us to try to get people up there and we'd have to you know either pull the overflow up there or, or get people leaving the other rooms 
That was the way that worked. And so when I got all fucked up and got weird, you know, I, I, I seriously lost my mind. I got uh, psycho- psychotic. I got psychosis from the drugs and the, and the lack of sleep. And, and uh, you know, I was pretty haunted by the store and by Sam and by everything. So I left and, you know, I cleaned up and I went to Boston. And I just started, you know, doing open mics and, and Barry Katz, um, you know, gave me my first string of gigs you know, opening like for X-rated hypnotist at uh, played against Sam's in Boston. So I had about yeah. 15 minutes, and I was doing that shit. And then, um, and then like in '88, I was in the the WBC on Comedy Riot, and you know, I came in second. And then Barry, primarily through his company, Boston Comedy uh, Company, where they would uh, they booked one nighters. You know, that was the the racket there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do these. You know, there was hundreds of them. You know, between. You know, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, um, what, one of the other states there, uh, <laughs> Vermont. Yeah, sure. So there'd be these runs where you could, you know, if you were working, you know, you'd go and you'd go to the office and they'd book you and they'd give you a map to whatever bar or bowling alley or hotel it was no at. GPS, just... There was map. no GPS. Yeah. yeah, no, you go pick up the map with the directions. Sometimes yeah. you'd have to drive the headline or most of them were two-person shows. Uh, you know, the opener would do a half hour and the yeah. headliner would do 45 minutes. And a lot of the headliners would come in to do these runs. And there was a couple of companies that booked them. So, like, I came in second and that's when I started working in 88. And that's how I started was primarily, you know, opening for, you know, two-man shows all over the New England uh, countryside. Oh, wow. Was there a fear when... You eventually, no, but you went from Boston to, to New York, right? Well, in 89, like I, I, I stayed in Boston for a couple years and doing the one-nighters and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, doing Knicks or doing Stitches. And then when Catch a Rising Star opened in Cambridge, that was, that was where, you know, Cross and Janine and all those people and Louie, like that became a, sort of like a, a refuge, you know, for non-regional comedy. Because yeah. Boston definitely had a comedy scene with Absolutely. a lot of dudes that were, were dug in. And I could sort of move freely through those worlds. Like, yeah. I could do the opening gigs. And uh, and that was hard comedy. I mean, you really had to know how to... You had to figure it out. Because you're going up cold to a, a, a comedy night crowd, not a comedy club crowd. And these a lot of these were, you know, in small cities, small towns. Some of those gigs only lasted a few weeks. And you'd have to go up and like, hey, all right, everybody, it's time for the show. And do a fucking half hour and then bring up the other guy wow. and hope he didn't lose his mind. And then get, you know, and then get in the car and leave. <laughs> was it was it a cohesive uh, comedy community at that time? Absolutely. Like, very support. I mean, just. I don't know. What, cohesive not supportive. There was. A, but I mean, like, just very. Uh, well, no, they were like, you know, Boston and San Francisco had. You know, real comedy scenes. And L.A. and New York were professional, like, were show business comedy scenes. Yeah. But in terms of the meat and potatoes dudes, you know, Boston definitely had a few big clubs that took care of certain comics. And there was a whole world up there. And a lot of the people that couldn't hack the working class, you know, audiences of, of, of Boston went to San Francisco, like Dana Gould. Tom Kenny, uh, Kevin Meany, uh, Paula Poundstone. Yeah. Like there were, there were fragile, more, you know, not alternative acts, but, you know, more nuanced acts that sort of migrated out of Boston and went to San Francisco, Bobcat. Yeah. But what was left was Lenny Clark, Kenny Rogerson, Don Gavin, um, George McDonald, um, you know, and then my generation, like Joe Yannetti, Frank Santarelli, and, uh, you know, and, and Warren McDonald, uh, Mike McDonald. 
uh, a lot of McDonald's. Dennis, <laughs> you know, Dennis Leary. Yeah. You know, uh, their name is McDonald. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of going. But there was a lot of dudes. Yeah. You know, like uh, who was like the guy who just passed away? Who was great? Bob Seibel, Bob Lazarus, DJ Hazard. Um, you know, and this is the world that you know Louis came up in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, DJ. You know, was a, a, a profound influence on Louis, and he's he's talked about Teddy Bergeron, uh, Jimmy Tingle. I mean, there was like a world of these guys that were professional comics. You know, when I started there, that were doing these shows. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, you work with them, and you know, they were Steve Sweeney. They were you know amazing acts, and they did big shows. Nick's was a big room; it was like four hundred people. Yeah. Wow. And there was a time during you know the Nick heyday where they opened you know another room within the same nick so you'd go and do three fucking shows in that same room and the yeah. comedy connection you know you had you had seisler and uh ooh, a lot of guys and then like these touring acts that were regular road comics would come up to do these runs like anyone would do a triple run or whatever they'd come mm-hmm. to these boston and either they work for the connection or barry's company or roger paul had a few gigs up there mike clark still has uh, gigs lenny's brother um that you, you know Vinny Favorito. I mean, there was a lot of dudes, you know, that were that were dug in up there. Yeah, and then you then you mentioned uh, like guys like Dana and Paula going out to San Francisco and being sort of labeled alternative comics. Well, they weren't really alternative. It was just that yeah. San Francisco. Like I ended up there eventually. At that time, the 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 sort of comedy boom of San Francisco, I think, you know, was built around a lot of those guys that you know mm-hmm. that left Boston that wanted more, that wanted more freedom, that wanted to engage in a different type of comedy because it was just their nature. I don't know that you would really, you know, I mean, Dana Gould is a is a club comic that you know evolved out of Carlin and out of like you know like there, you know, there was no alternative comedy as really was a, as a point of reference was you know these non professional rooms where mostly club acts yeah. you know didn't have the pressure of of having to do their act yeah. you know that's what Luna was in New York and what uh, the bookstore shows were out here or on Cabaret most of the people uh, not so much here but a lot of the alternative acts. That became famous started in comedy clubs, and then it, it, I've heard people label you as an alternative comic. Do you like that label? Do you? I don't know. You know, ultimately, it doesn't want. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know, like True. you know, I you know, I came up in clubs. You know, like mm-hmm. by the time alternative comedy came about, you know, I it was ninety five. I'd been doing comedy. You know, for you know seven or eight years, and I'd already done a couple TV spots. Um, you know, I'd done, you know, a Conan or two, like, you know, I was a club comic. I mean, it was just, for me, it was a place to, you know, improvise and find shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know that it holds much, much weight, except it did create the culture of the bringer show that, you know, that what alternative comedy ultimately gave the comedy world was, uh, you know, comedy books, comic book shows and shows that can happen, you know, in any location for yeah. no money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so alternative comedy means no money. Well, that's that's what pros used to say, yeah. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways it does. I mean, you know, it's nice. Some people throw you a couple bucks. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, ultimately there was this expectation. Even when I got here, like, you know, doing these clubs, like I felt I needed to go do these rooms because that's where comedy happened and, you know, you had an audience. I've, I, like lately, I, you know, I really just go to the store. I won't work the improv. I don't yeah. work the Laugh Factory because mm-hmm. I don't want to. You know, so I, you know, the comedy store, I've had a long tormented relationship <laughs> with it and now it's like really a home to me and I feel very good there. Is it crazy to see your, your door days versus, I mean, people talk about it, just the vast differences 
because of the vibe and the um, obviously like the attendance now is. Uh, well, I think way that different. a lot of us became proud of it. Even when I got back here in uh, 2002 or whatever, it was dark there. It was weird, and it was weird for me. And you know, it was not doing well, and it had gone through a lot of weird transformations. But you know, ultimately, you know, once I started, you know, exploring the history of it on my podcast, and like I only I only tell people to go to the comedy store. I don't tell them to go anywhere else. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the only, it's like got a history and you can feel it. It's a real really fucking can. place. Yeah. And like, and now like, you know, that, you know, Tommy's gone, you know, bigger acts are enjoying, you know, the stages there. Yeah. There was, you know, and like a lot of people are upset that they can't get spots, but that's just the nature of the fucking business. So like, yeah. and I don't get involved with that, but I know that, you know, you go there, the experience is great. Like, you know, you're like, what is this place? And it's it's like it, it is intact. It you can feel its history. Um, it's almost um, decrepit in some yeah. ways, and uh, and people love the rooms there. And you know people see it as a challenge there. When you figure out how to play that original room, it's a great feeling because it's pretty daunting at first. Yeah, absolutely. you know you like I can't see the crowd. Like there's a lot of pressure. I feel the ghosts of the past here. You know you 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 feel yourself buckle under sure. your your own. You got to follow some insane right. celebrity comic that just popped in. Right, and, and then one day the you room. just don't give a fuck. <laughs> so you, you know it can still be hard, yeah. but like now that Mitzi's like you know out out. Mm-hmm. That that whole that whole idea, like I was there when, you know, you were just panicked that she would come, you know, like really, really? people were terrified, huh? Dude, it's like, you know, you sit in the room and like she shows up and you put your friends in her booth. You're like, fuck, you guys got to go. You got to go <laughs> right, right now. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like you'd see your dumb Jaguar pull up and, and the whole place would be like, she's here, dude, she's here. And you're like, what, what's happening? Like, oh, you'd be shit. just scrambling, you know, to, to sort of like, hey, hey, hi, Mitzi, Mark. <laughs> you know, like, like, it was fucking nuts, dude. When you talk about uh, not giving a fuck at one point, is that when you started sitting on the stool and really, because uh, for me, Tommy would always say, I, you know, when I first got past, I would get those 1230, 1245, late, you know, seven, eight people, maybe 20 on an off night. And, uh, and I just was like, after you know, thirteen comics, I was like, I'm not going to stand up there. I need to like match at least a little bit of what's going on. Yeah, and that's why I started to sit down, and I don't do it all the time now. But it definitely like I felt a shift, definitely in my comedy, because it it just made me drop down a little bit more and get more conversational. Yeah. And uh, when did you start? I don't know. I used to do it when I was when things weren't going well. Like it was it was a counterintuitive thing initially. Like if I was tanking or something, I'd sit down. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, and, and then, like, it became, like, I became very conscious of it that, like, you know, after I, I watched um, Bill Cosby myself, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it wasn't that long ago. It was before, you know, he became Bill Cosby the rapist. But, sure. but like, Which I was. the name uh, of his next special. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was like, you know, I realized that, you know, we can own ourselves however we want. Yeah. There's, like, you know, anybody who says you don't sit down, you do sit down, you don't do this, you don't do that. You know, that's when you go, like, you know, shut the fuck up. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, there's, like, you know, Shelly Berman used to sit down. There's no, like, there, there's people that, like, you know, Bob teach Newhart. comedy or what. Yeah, He's one of the it's, it's just sort yeah. of like, you know, the, the one of the reasons I got into comedy, it's like, I own that stage however I want. I say whatever I want. The only context is you should get laughs. Theoretically, that's the idea. But outside <laughs> of that, you have nothing. You can't say anything about what I do up there. 
Yeah. And, you know, and, it, and it's not any less stand-up. It's not any less anything. You know, these people that have an idea between storytelling, all comedy, this comedy, that comedy, some of the greatest stand-ups in the world, most of them were storytellers. So why are you separating shit? Stand-up is stand-up. You do – as a stand-up, you do what you're going to do. Your only job is to, you know, get laughs if that's possible. Other than that, it's fucking – you do it. And you live with the judgment of the other comics, club owners, audiences, whatever. That's up to you. That's why we do this. It's that's it's our fucking space. You don't fucking tell me what to do. Love that. Holy <laughs> shit! I, feel, I just got hard. <laughs> Anybody else? Intense and just inspiring me. and. But you know what? It's right. But that's why we got the. Yeah, we're we're full rules. of fuck you. Yeah. You know that? I mean, what? You know, you think we choose this life because it's like a good a good business decision? <laughs> You're a comic no because it's like, you know, I don't fit in with this other shit yeah. and yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. Isn't this a little bit of what made Gallagher walk out? The uh, well, You guys were discussing. I mean, you got down. To I, the- I, 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 it was like it was not a mistake on judgment on my part. You know, I just like I didn't you know. I could have done a good interview with him because he was a real guy. He was yeah. a comedy store guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, did, I wanted to have that interview, but I started asking him about his choice of jokes politically. Yeah. And then he decided that I was trying to sandbag him and, and, uh, and, you know, and, you know, confront him on something. And I was some lefty, whatever. He just, that was the, po- and he walked out. Yeah. That was the podcast where he actually mentioned me during it. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, not me by name, but he was like, I just saw a midget three weeks ago. Do jokes about being a midget on stage, and I'm like, say my name, <laughs> say my name. Which at, was, at funny bread on at Twitter. funny bread on Twitter. Come on, like I, I, I was screaming, I was, I was screaming at my radio. I, I could have done a good interview with him, and I, you know, I was surprised that he did what he did. Well, I mean, it, but I felt yeah. like I needed to do it because I thought that you know that there was so little respect for him in the stand-up world. But I think if I would have done that interview now, it would have been different because, you know, despite what I think, you know, a guy who's done eight specials and, you know, and really was a memorable uh, performer to a lot of yeah. people, you know, whether I like it or not is really not the issue. Sure, because he's, he, he's a benchmark in comedy history. When you definitely. Are, when you write and, it. Yeah. yeah, and, and you know, we all make fun of him because, you know, you go, that, was, that was sort of the branching off you know, of the integrity of the, the, the road act back in the day that, you know, what was really, it wasn't all comedy storytelling comedy, this comedy, that comedy. It was either, you know, you were, there, there were, there were hacks, there were real standups and there were fucking, you know, boat acts. There were like, you know, there and prop comics, you yeah, know, but, yeah, you know, yeah. and now like, you know, like there's no real shame in doing boats. Uh, you no. know, there's plenty of hacks around, but prop <laughs> are acts. We ta- are we talking about Cruise ships or just yeah. like tiny yeah. little boats? That, <laughs> no, like, no, cruise ships. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. people were renting like kayaks and doing. No, no. no someone, some, uh, someone does the dinghy that the uh, Somali yeah. pirates were on. Yeah, <laughs> a good tight ten minutes yeah. there. Who books that? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, but but the prop comic never really you know survived uh, the acceptance. There's no, you know, you got to be pretty fucking clever. You got to be Joel Hodson. You know, oh, be you know, reference. right? But you, you, you know, that the, the prop act was. Always sort of like, you know, I hope he gets over that you know, or, the, or the guitar act, you know, like, yeah. you know, there was something about, you know, the when when happy hours started closing down and the guitar act started coming into comedy clubs, there was there was an issue with the real stand ups and like, oh, here's, he's got the guitar out. You know, so there, there, there's some old timey 
kind of like 80s style integrity issues that don't really last anymore because there are some people that do kind of funny things with 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 guitars now and, mm-hmm. and but you how know do, how do you view that because you play a lot like do, is there ever a, when you're jamming around at home do you ever write silly songs and go no maybe no I used to, that was one of the things Kenison played too and I'm like you ever think about integrating it into the actual, like never could figure out how there's no way to do it there's no way to do it yeah. why the fuck would I do I mean you know you know Sandler does funny songs and yeah. they're funny and they're cute and there's not no one's going to judge him because there is an originality to it but Nick Finn's real good at it but he just he uses it like Zach does. Like, you know, he it's a prop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he uses it like Zach uses the piano. In my recollection, he doesn't really do any songs, yeah. right? He just has it as a yeah, timing yeah, yeah. device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay. But uh but but there was a time the ones we're talking about, it was primarily song parody. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a cheap way to do things. Well yeah. and, and then that's one of the another reasons why I love WTF is because like Carrot Top is sort of a punchline to us all for a long time, and then yeah. we got to hear him really open up. Oh, yeah. You humanize him, yeah. yeah. Well, that's sort of what happens, but I, I don't know that he, you know, I still think he was a little cagey in the sense that, like, you know, he did have his boys there, and that, I don't usually let that happen, but the whole thing was facilitated by Charlie Viracola, who I, who I like and, you know, who, who, who I, you know, knew early on, uh, who ended up, you know, being his fairly permanent opener but you know i definitely was there with the you know, carrot top mafia yeah you know that you know, that i think <laughs> and then charlie you know involuntarily did a lot of talking for carrot top it was, it was always yeah, like well scott does you know and the weird thing about charlie is like you know his cadence is exactly like bill hicks's which is weird wow. that the guy that like has this this weird kind of a uh, talk uh, this way of talking that that is a lot like bill's just naturally and you know he's carrot tops opener which i did there's an irony to that somewhere <laughs> but um but yeah i mean scott was like uh you know he was relatively candid and you know he was humanized but i don't think it's easy being him yeah no it's not but yeah, but that whole thing that like that night. just but that well you know he's an entertainer yeah and and you know that's what vegas is like it's never like when people go you play vegas i'm like why why like you know anyone's dream is to have you know when you have 40 weeks in vegas i would rather hang myself <laughs> be a great show yeah i just, it, it just that, like, that was the that was the set we were finally looking for at the yeah. comedy store when Brent's like Barrett's on stage. We're like yeah. maybe he's gonna do it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that like I know how to put together a set. Like you know, yeah. I've done a lot of you know stand up on television. I know how to do a four and a half minute set. There was a time where I did that. I you know, I can put the jokes together and lock in and do that. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that you know I have the skill set to do that. Is it the best way to see me? No. You know, are those Conan set when I did stand up on television? You know, not panel. Are those? Is that the best way to see me? Not really. You know, because like, because you're taking everything out of context. There's no, you know, I would, you know, I wouldn't, I would wonder how to, how it would go now. I haven't done that type of set in a long time, like the four and a half minute. Sure, because you know, now, I mean, uh, I like doing panel. I always yeah. love the panel guys. You're great on those. Well, when I was a kid, I always like that. To me, was that was where you could really be funny. Totally. When you'd see like any of the guys on Carson just sit down and do it, yeah, not, or like not we, not scripted, and just right? But you do you do produce it, like you do are doing Their things, stories, that, yeah. yeah. But some of them, they you know, they are bits. But like I'd see Richard Lewis on Letterman, and I'd be like, that's why I want to be that guy, the couch guy. Right. And when Conan let me do that, I was like, this is great. I'm the couch guy. Uh, <laughs> I heard you talking about. I've only done one, and I did Ferguson for when the Heat came out, and that was well, to me saw this fucking setup that guy does. I mean, like the pre-interview, like all this stuff, and I like gave. I tried to pull out a lot of great stories. None of it got talked about. But as you talked about too, you mentioned you did a handful of times, and he, he was driving the conversation so hard that you couldn't get a word in, and then finally. You said, fuck it, and I'm going to come at him, and then that was the best one. Right. 
And um, and I heard you talk about that before I did it, yeah. and man, did it help because then I was like, <laughs> I go, dude, chime in and don't let him just sit yeah. get, and and banter. And it was like everything was so off the cuff, and it was just like a, an improv class. Good, but right? It, yeah, but it was uh, very helpful to hear that. Yeah, I just thought it's like I see what he's doing. Yeah, you know, like yeah, he's got you. You know, you got ninety things in your head because of the pre-interview. Yeah, right. And then you're like, oh, is he gonna? You know, and then he just <laughs> blathers on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, just right. blows past you. Just- Starts taking shots at you, and you're like, he, he had me, he had me off kilter before I even got out of here. <laughs> it's a fucking rigged game. Um, more later is your uh, most yeah. recent special on yeah, Epics. Try, yeah, it's on Epics. I try to you know stay with networks that nobody gets or watches. Like I, <laughs> my shows on my shows on IFC. Yeah, I did my your special next special on, on JambaJuice.com. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. It was a great special. It they, was great. They, they paid well, and it, I don't have any. They, I think they did a great job, and and you can get it on. Uh, you can get it on Epics, I think. Still, you can get it on uh, Amazon, and you can get it on Hulu as well. Yeah, I love your. If you got Netflix, you can go. Uh, Thinky Pain is on. Thinky Netflix. Pain is on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. your yeah. bits about, uh, and I'm real curious. Do you have? A, can you do like ten more minutes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, your bits on on your friends with kids and talking about how shitty it is and how great it is. It, like, yeah. could not be. I, you know, everybody can relate to that. Yeah. And so when I hear you talk about that, um, was uh, is there? I mean, do kids? Is that even a possibility for you? Do you even think in terms? Not anymore. No. I, you know, there was a. I was in, uh, engaged to a woman for a while before it went bad, and you know, and you know, I thought I would could do it, but I, I don't think I was really. I, I'm not gonna. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> now, is it because of when you hear stories like for me? Definitely. No, it's like, like some people just think that yeah, they, they, there's not a question in their head they're gonna have kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something they want in their life. I just never thought that way. I never. Th- I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but like it wasn't having a big house. It wasn't having. <laughs> A wife and kids. I, I I think I just always wanted to just feel okay about myself. Some people, yeah. Well, some people also need to, uh, you know, uh, need that kid to feel like that, I don't know. that's I a think, sense of accomplishment and to feel like a I connect- think that some people like, you know, it, it is the natural thing in a lot of ways and, and people like get a lot out of it and it's not... It's not an unusual thing. What what people get out of kids, I don't know. But some people just think it's you know it's a biological and and uh, you, you know human responsibility that that happens. Mm-hmm. You know it, you, you know I, I I personally believe that you know you, you do have control over that, but uh, <laughs> but it seems to be the way of animals yeah. to reproduce. And you know I don't you know why anyone has them and you know what, how they treat them and all that other stuff. I don't know about all that. You have yeah. nieces and nephews. I do, yeah. How are you with them? Are you good with yeah, kids? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm good with kids. Yeah, I, but, yeah. Yeah, I like them. I, I don't know that, you know, uh, uh, that my emotional structure is would, des- would be good in the long term. But, you know, for a few days. <laughs> a few days a year. Yeah, yeah, I can have a good time. There you, you know? go. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, we want to make sure we talk uh, Marin before before we wrap this up. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of Marin, I mean, yeah. that episode in particular where your niece comes to visit, hey, yeah, you yeah, yeah. introduced her to the YouTube star, was yeah. like really sweet. And yeah. like, and that's what I, when I fell in love and binge watched uh, the whole uh, first three, well, I binge yeah. watched the first two seasons yeah. and then before the third one came out. And uh, it's so, it's definitely great to get an inside look at you. I feel like it's very much an accurate depiction of you, your show. Yeah. Some of it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it is 22 minutes, and it is sort of like, you know, uh, uh, it's sort of there's a context and there's a limitations to that character. But, yeah, the first three seasons, a lot of it was really hinged to my personal life. Because I don't know how much I really knew of you other than, you know, from the podcast and stuff. And getting to see that, like, you just, you are, I guess there was a, a not as likable of a picture that's been painted and before I saw your show like right. you're very like and the the point of view and the way you just approach like 
many life situations yeah. was like overwhelmingly relatable. <laughs> it's, it's some of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, well, to a lot of us, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know uh, I already thanked you about, like a year ago for, for going after the YouTube stars because that was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that was, was so, that, that was something that every comic watching that was like, finally, <laughs> fucking somebody said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but also in the stuff with your mom, I mean. Uh, you were uh, in that one. What? Were you? Wait. Oh, there's another guy. Ah, so, you're cheating on me with another dwarf, <laughs> sorry, Mark? Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Uh, Sally right. Kellerman. He, oh, the God. guy ended up kissing Andy Dick. I don't know if you're willing. <laughs> uh, uh, no. Yeah, well, don't you remember there was a little man in the yeah. in the hot tub? Like, <laughs> there was. I think he was just. I think he was actually an extra. <laughs> yeah. And and then like Andy started like hi. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Every dwarf has to ask himself, "Would you kiss the dick?" <laughs> yeah. How much do you need that that's job? That's my that's that that's my reality Sa- show. Sally Kellerman, incredible. Yeah. yeah, she's great. How how uh, just going from again? You're talking about when you had to release from. I'm not going to have my show. I'm not going to be a big comic. Yeah. And by the way, both those have happened. Now. Yeah. So that I mean, well, that was you know that was a surprise. And the the funny thing about it, having had some peace about not happening, even though it was sad, like you know having let it go. You know, that like when it did happen, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm completely ready for this and you know, I'm not freaked out about it. And I knew that it would take me a couple seasons to figure out how to act. I knew that, you know, I'd never done uh, any TV writing or worked with a, cr- a staff before. I knew that was going to be new. And I was definitely, you know, wide open to collaborating and cool. to the process. Like I never, you know, like I think my set was always very fun to be on because like I never ever thought of myself as like any sort of boss. Like I was just You're a like, guy. You're like Scorsese mayor and all this. No, sudden. I'm just yeah. showing up for work. Yeah. You yeah. know, and there would be moments where it'd be like, you know, fuck, you know, why is someone... How can we get this fixed? And people be like, your, your name's on the show. You can probably talk it. something wow. like that. <laughs> That's a great oh, place yeah. to operate from, though. Yeah. No, you know, having was. a little bit of blissful ignorance to like... And like, also, I'm in every scene, so it's like I, I was like I had to, you know, I didn't have time. You know, I was no, like working. You yeah, know, you're worried about le- knowing your damn lines, right? Did and you yeah, enjoy right. the whole casting process and the writing process? And- I did. I had great showrunners. You know, Sievert, uh, Glaram, and Michael Jamin were great, and uh, you know we. You know, they come from, you know, sitcom world and we were doing something different and they were sort of very, you know, tight with story and and they were pretty good with jokes. But like a lot of the things about the first few seasons was gutting the jokes and allowing emotions to happen because they're like because I'm in every scene and I am a, a sort of de facto head writer i'm there for all of it and i go mm. through all of it and i wrote a few scripts and but it's all you know we're all writing it that i'd be like i can't say that i'm not gonna say that you know we yeah, that's not gonna happen we can't do this you know it's, that guy's not gonna do that like yeah. you know it all had to go through me yeah. yeah and it's nice that you were had that opportunity whereas before if you're on a set of some of, some, of someone else's show they go all right mark you're gonna say this yeah like, yeah that doesn't yeah, make just sense like, but poop. you couldn't really pipe up yeah right well now, you, you, you can, can a little bit yeah, yeah but the, what my show was sort of like you know, some are better than others, but they're all pretty good. I, you know, I'm very proud of all of them. There was, uh, you know, that the one with Joey Diaz about this, the accidentally yes. stolen joke. Unbelievable! I think that's one of the best fucking episodes. Like, I was so meticulous about that because yeah. it's such a real comic story. Absolutely. And you know, and you know, and and like I, yeah, I'm, there's part of me that's a little sad that like I don't know how many people watch it, but it, it was like you know that's for comics. Yeah. That, that episode was for you know comics. Well, and sure. I think a lot, and I think a lot of people who aren't comics enjoyed it because you know, and again, they think, don't realize how crazy we are. Well, with that. <laughs> well, that yeah, it was a great insight. But again, and thank you to you for opening up this podcast forum because the amount of people that that now you know that's made it popular that love this like. 
the people that are going to listen to this and be like, oh, you know, they're fans of us and they want to get this extra inside look. And so for you to portray that in the show yeah. was so an extra behind the scenes piece of our world that mm-hmm. I'm well, sure Well, that was funny. Were. That was part of the device of the whole TV show is that like I could have these moments with, with celebrities. And then like it became like this season was so different because like. I, you know, IFC's been great, you know, in terms of creative freedom and stuff. But yeah. Are they it, great? I'm about to do this Hank Azaria show. Yeah, no, they're great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're happy that you're there. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, you know, but there was very little pushback. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah, they're happy. Uh, there's, you know, they gave a lot of creative freedom, but like budgetarily, they're, they're, it was like, you know, it was a tight show, dude. Yeah. And yeah. it got to a point where, you know, like there's no big payoff at the end. There's no, you know, you're not going to go into syndication. There's not some big back end you know you, you you're almost earning an honest living in show business you know which is good it's yeah. fine with me but it was a lot of work you're and, not trying you know, to live that hot tub life no but but you know the thing is is like you get to a point where it's like you know the budget's going to restrict you and i think that happens with every show yeah but like you know it just keeps getting bigger and bigger but ultimately you're sort of like uh you know we you know you write a scene at the bus station they're like can we just uh, do this in front of that place buy a bus you know like you know like yeah. all of a sudden you know you, the, to shoot the way we shot you know, you've really got to be creative with the with the line producing. We had great line producer sure. the last couple of seasons in Ed Tapia, but like the 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 newest season, like at the end of the third season, I'm like I could I relapse on drugs, and part of me was like, okay, it's okay if that's over. Like you know, we're, I'm done with this. Yeah, you know, I've done enough television. Yeah, to carry over, yeah. You know, like you know, I didn't know if they were going to renew it or not. Oh, really? You know, or anything. You never know. That's the thing. So you kind of got to make every season your last because you don't know when they're going to just go. And eh, we're done. You know. Yeah. So like, so you, you don't, came to terms with just being and being at peace with going. Cool. I got to. Yeah, show yeah. This. Like I just wanted to make sure it ended with something that seemed like some kind of closure. Yeah. And me on the floor mumbling in an opiated. <laughs> you know, uh, like well, that's probably how it's made anyway. So <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, that works out. But then they wanted to do more, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do more. I don't. I, I think we've tapped my life. I don't see any reason to go back to the world. You know, why be redundant if we don't have to? I mean, if you're mm-hmm. a three camera shoot and your set is your set, uh, then you know, and it's working, then you keep tapping that. You keep repeating stories, and I didn't see how we could do a fourth season without repeating tonally stories. And I'm like, I can't fucking do it. There's no payoff to that. Why would we limit ourselves creatively? To being redundant when we don't, there's nothing holding us to do that. Yeah. So like, and I and I was almost like, I'm not, I'm not going to do anymore. And my writers are like, are you sure. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and then like, I had this idea. I'm like, well, let's say the guy just you know continued using drugs from the last season for a year. He's been on opiates. So now what does that season look like? And that's what we did. I'm like, he's. You know, we got to get him cleaned up. We got to get him transitioned back into life. Wow. And then we got to get him to change his life. So this was the first season where you know I pitched a full narrative arc for the season before. Like only you only had to connect a couple of episodes if necessary. If there was a storyline that went through, you can't have an ensemble cast at the budget we're working at. Yeah. Because sure, it costs too much money. Yeah. yeah. So you had a tricky. Yeah. It was a trick. You know, with Sally and with Judd and with recurring characters, you'd only get them up to about four episodes before they become yeah. regular cast members, Oof. where the pay grade changes. So you had to fake this. <laughs> ensemble thing by by spacing so it out don't get too attached to characters people that's what we're well no to say. you can but they're not gonna be there every day yeah. right so so this season like i was like well fuck it fuck the world you know this is what we're gonna do you guys want to do it and they're like nah, i don't know and i'm like come on you know we in my mind we've established the parameters of this guy who is the fictional mark you know he's got emotional depth we can you know i'm willing to 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 uh, man up to what it would take to act this so yeah. let's do this is and it intense. It, well, they signed off on it, and that was great. And the writers were like, "All right, we're doing you know a full you know this is all fiction now, basically." Yeah. And I hired a I hired Bob Nickman, 
you know, I had Jerry Stahl in the writing staff who's got a lot of experience with sobriety. I got experience with sobriety. Nickman was a guy that's a sober guy. Dave Anthony has experience with, uh, you know, being a, you know, a, a son of an alcoholic. And I had Sievert and Michael, you know, who were the story guys. And, you know, I'm like, well, here we go. This is, you know, the, now we're creating something that, you know, I have experience being sober and I, there were certain things that need to be handled properly, but it was a whole fictional landscape, which freed us up creatively. And it freed me up as an actor and it did a lot of things that were really astounding. Like now all of a sudden these writers are sort of like before, if we came up short on the page count, they'd be like, well, just let Mark talk more on the podcast. You know, like, you know, oh, like, yeah, because like, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, right, we're, we're at 23, but, you know, let, let, you know, we'll just let, let Mark riff it yeah, out a little bit. Right. But now it's sort of like, nope, we got to write these full scripts. You know, yeah. they're going to go all the way through. And we ended up, uh, you know, really doing the best season we've done. That's Because awesome. it was completely fictionalized, but completely grounded in reality and, you know, and heavy. And uh, it was everything I liked to do. But in, and I think my acting got better and, and the stories, you know, we honored, you know, addiction. We honored and respected recovery. And we honored sort of the transition. And we were able to get some real good comedy by, you know, making Dave's character different. And, He's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you know, it was just a, a really. You gave, uh, you gave Chet Hayes a part. That was hilarious. <laughs> he, yeah. He's fantastic. Great. Because like we wanted we had this yeah. idea to have this, you know, this entitled white, you know, kind of, you know, rapping, you know, spoiled guy. So you go to and, and then Tom someone Hanks brought it up. Son. Well, someone brought it up, well, it sounds like this Chet Hayes guy. Yeah. And who who you know blew up online because he got lost his mind on Twitter on Twitter on yeah. drugs and, and like, you know, he became this laughing stock. And we're all sitting there, and I'm like, like you know, think he'd do it? I mean, <laughs> wow. he's an actor. Yeah. And, you know, so we reached out to him, and he's like, yeah. And, like, and he was so nuanced and so sweet and newly sober. And, mm -hmm. you know, and he was totally, it was great. You know, working off him and Andrew Lynch was great. And I don't it, know if you took yeah. classes, but you're acting. Uh, I mean, I was even just, you know, impressed by the first few seasons, so that's great to hear. that. It, well, I didn't really, and I'd done a little, but I knew that I could be present. Yeah. I didn't know if I had the confidence to, to own space And you well. listen well, and that's a big right. part of it. Well, that's all of it. Yeah, but like I, I was still a little, you know, conscious of my body and stuff, and like you know, wasn't making really physical comedic decisions. Yeah, where you know that started to evolve a little bit. But this season, I was very aware of like you know, you're comfortable, so you know, pick your beats physically. Yeah, like you know, you, you know, you know where laughs are supposed to be because mm -hmm. a lot of it happens in editing. You know, even with laughs, like you know, when you don't have an audience there, like that was something I had to bring to the editing process where they would cut for time, and I'd be like, well, you know, that line doesn't land because you got to have even a half second after. It. Right, yeah. You know, like that's a joke line, and then you just cut right after. Like you, you, you just you need you a gotta, beat. Yeah, you need, you need something to let that resonate. Right. Yeah. You gotta let it. Editors, I mean, that's so much is done in the editing room. That's but they're so technical that they might skip that extra little beat just because they're like, well, no, time wise, it's a time thing. You know, usually, you know, because you you're, you're always gonna come out a little long, mm -hmm. so you really have to make story choices in the editing room. It all happens in editing. But this year, like one of the the editors, um, you know, he directed an episode and he was great. Uh, you know, Dave directed an episode last season. I directed a, an episode. I didn't this year, but you know, I'm glad Dave got a shot at it. And and uh, um, uh, what? Oh, why am I spaced? If a if a fifth season happens, Obama's done. Maybe we reach out and see if he plays like I don't know the new best friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see where this season goes. You know, yeah. um, it, it like the thing I like about this season is that it's completely untethered to what was established. So you really don't know what's going to happen yeah. episode to episode, which is really what you want. This is like in the like in the past seasons, I tuned in every episode because I wanted to know what 
uh, like what you were talking about, and they were, and they were individually funny. Now I'm invested in the character. Like what happens yeah, right. to these characters? Right. What and not just yourself, but what happens to the stuttering guy? Yeah. Like like yeah. I I want to know what happens to these people. Well, that he you know he's only in a few, but like you know I think the big turn this season at you know and once rehab finishes is what happens to Dave. That you know I you know I re-enter show business in a very specific and surprising way. And okay. that the whole construct of my relationship with Dave and how I try to get back into show business. And there's one episode where I, you know, where Sally's there, and uh, I think maybe two with Judd. Um, but you know, uh, but the Dave and Mark thing is, you know, that that becomes very uh, exciting, uh, you know, for 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 show business people. Oh, you're wonderful. gonna you're gonna like it. Uh, it's it. IFC Wednesdays at nine. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The other three, the other three seasons are available on Netflix. Yep. So you can go, so you can go back and binge watch those. Look for the guy hold, uh, holding the balloons. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, while we're on the acting front, uh, Brad and I saw a preview. Uh, well, the, a screening of Mike and Dave. You're great. You did. Yeah. Yeah. Divine's uh, my boy. Was that good? It, you were great. The we we, <laughs> you were great. We, we we watched it with a group of students. They screened it for a group of students at UCLA. Yeah. And when guess you, what happened when you came on? What? Hey! Cheering. Really? There yeah. was cheers. They're like, we know that guy. Yeah. Like it, it was so. Did cool I have any laugh lines? Oh yes. yeah. Oh good. Yeah. Absolutely. Great, you're, so dude. you're in the movie. Oh, Isn't good. it so funny? You're you do cut. those things. You're just like, is it out? No, you know, like, <laughs> that's what you do those things, and you're like, I don't think, like, I did this one years ago, this thing, Frank and Cindy, for this guy, uh, E.J. Acton Camp, what's his name, but it was, he, you know, he had, you know, he had done a series of documentaries about his mother's relationship with this, her husband, who was this one-hit wonder bass player, <laughs> yeah. and they did a movie, a scripted movie, uh, with uh, Rene Russo and Oliver Platt. And I played his real dad who lived out in the desert for like two scenes or three scenes. Nice. And it just never got out. And now it's on Netflix and I finally watched it. And I'm like, it's a cute movie. And I did a pretty good job. Nice. So like there's like that. You can go watch that, Frank and Cindy. There, it's available. There's, the original doc is there, but then the 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 actual fictional movie so or the, the adapted Frank movie. Frank and Cindy, Mike and Dave, you're choosing projects that have two names in the title. Exactly. And I did this <laughs> Joe Swanberg thing in Chicago that's going to be out, I think, in uh, – I don't know when that's coming out. But that was really – you know he did he did um drinking buddies happy christmas oh shit he okay. you know he's like a chicago director mostly yeah, yeah. yeah he gets associated with improvised uh filmmaking like mumblecore but he's really great and he did this series for netflix based on each episode is based on a different chicago character and i think he did eight and the idea is to revisit them every year and he cast me as this um as this sort of like you know uh uh, slightly has been graphic novelist, nice. like a comic book artist who mm-hmm. who had had his heyday, like you know, in the sure. early nine or mid nineties. Frank, Frank Miller type, maybe or not Frank like Miller, that. more like Daniel Klaus or that, you know, oh, or okay. or Peter Bag or sure, you sure. know the the sort of alty. Shell Silverstein. No, no, all right, <laughs> no I'm, try, I'm trying to relate. No Let the nerds talk, Adam. <laughs> uh, but no, more the the you know the sort of like. Um, you know, not the mainstream comics, but yeah. the the ones like do you know Klaus stuff or Daniel or, or Peter Bag or I do you know Peter Bag or the stuff. Uh, the Chicago guys mm-hmm. Brown uh, mm-hmm. Bo- what's his name not Box Brown he's another comic artist but there's another Brown yeah. Chester Brown maybe but whatever like some moderate success and then right well they made a movie out. like yeah. Ghost World is a good example like the, which was a Daniel Klaus yeah. graphic novel or, or or a series of comics but but like I was that guy and I just put out a book and no one gives a shit so so it was me dealing with the younger generation of yeah. art. And and I think I did a pretty good job of that. I'm going to go see a screening of that on Thursday. You know, uh, right. you know, in the editing room. I feel like you can really sink your teeth into a like Paul Giamatti sideways type role. And I'd I- love to. Like that's really what I want to do. Like I'm I'm kind of like 
done with like my own show ish thing. Yeah. Like I, I think I'm done. You'd and, like to maybe uh, do a longer. Uh... Well, I'd like to do like you know, I'd like to challenge myself as an actor. I just did a little part in Roadies for Cameron Crowe playing Jeez. myself. That's awesome. Hey, um, for a couple of scenes, Cameron you know? Crowe, the the almost famous. Yeah, yeah. Lock the gates. Together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there it is. And more, uh, than, more more than one line though this time, right? Not a few. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. And I had a nice scene with Luke Wilson. That was fun to awesome. meet him. That's awesome. But that's the other thing about the reach of WTF is like these actors who I don't really know are like, hey man, the Ethan Hawke thing really changed like what the way the I looked fuck? at. What the fuck? That's so like crazy. so many people that's, are like, that's awesome. The, one of the greatest things was, um, I, yeah, I can talk about it. John Kasdan directed the uh, the roadies thing I just did, and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know his his brother's Jake, who's a TV director who I interviewed on WTF, yep. and his father's Lawrence, you know who wrote Star Wars and you know directed uh, oh, the Big sh- Chill and Body Heat, and I think he wrote the first Raiders. Good look or- up his you know. <laughs> Look up uh, Lawrence Kasdan, accidental tourist. He's a yeah. great, great screenwriter. Amazing. And he did work on the new Star Wars. But, you know, I'm talking to John, his kid, who's a great kid. He's uh, not a kid, but, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, I said, I got to get your dad. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'd love my dad to do it. I'm like, maybe I can get both of you on. I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And, and then, like, oh, we're on break, and uh, they're resetting. And I see him on the phone in, in the door of his trailer. He's like, he goes, I'm on my, my mother. She loves you. I'm like, and I'm like, oh, okay, tell her thanks. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he's like, is dad there? Is dad there? And he's like, yeah, put dad on. And then he's like, wait, I'm putting you on speaker. So now Lawrence Kasdan is on the phone. And I'm like, hi, it's Mark. He's like, Mark, I love what you're doing. I just listened to the Louie and the Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You're gifted. You're great. And uh, we, we love the show. And I'm like, it's your turn, Larry. Yeah. He's like, I'll do it. You know, I just not not right now, but we'll do it. And I'm like, But the thing, like, it wasn't a matter of the booking. It's like, you know, Lawrence Kasdan listens to my podcast. You know, I was like, oh, that's. <laughs> Does that? Yeah, you're still a fan of all this shit, right? Oh, like, yeah. That yeah. has to. Yeah, like- no, it's crazy. Like, I, you know, his movies, like. When I was, you know, the Big Chill and Body Heat specifically, I was like, you know, Body Heat was like, I, I loved him. I loved, I do love him. I love dude, Silverado, Raiders, Silverado, I love. The Bodyguard, Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Holy Jeez. shit. Guys he's a great screenwriter and a good yeah. director. He's, yeah. gr- he's a great director. I mean, you know, Big Chill's, like, whether it dated well or not, is a genius movie. And, and Body Heat really, for, for my money, is really the best, you know, um, revival noir that that ever was made because it was like it really honored just a, the pulpy crime element you know it wasn't trying to be anything else <laughs> right and it was tight and william hurt was so fucking good yeah uh it's gotta be insane for you where like now it was just like that just... was that's the payoff is yeah. that like you know like lawrence kasdan listens to the show when you uh meet luke wilson on the set do you do you think in booking opportunities do you go after you have the whole not really like sometimes i do but like you know like you know luke and i have a couple of common friends and i'm more like kind of like you know, okay, I gotta, I'm gonna act now with Luke. Yeah. You know, and we talked, and we, you know, he had a nice time, and he's a nice guy. I, I actually, I didn't, like, I, I guess I was too sort of caught up with trying to, you know, figure out why I was saying what I was saying well, to that's sort good. of go, you wanna yeah. do the podcast? For sure, right. You know, it's also a little weird with me because I do see myself still in a different light that, like, you know, I don't even know if I can ask them for their phone number. You know, like, it's, it's still weird for me, like, if I do an interview with somebody, where I'm like, you know, they're like, well, maybe we could, you know, maybe you should t- tell me about that thing. And I'm like, um, dude, can, who do I contact? <laughs> like, I, I, like, I don't. They're like, like me. I'm like, like really? Just, okay. You get my you know, number. Yeah. Well, that and, 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 and what you do is a, a thing that's you, you sit down when you sit down and have a conversation with someone for an hour plus. Like, it's an intimate thing. And, yeah. and and there's plenty of people, uh, hopefully yourself included, that when we have them in here, I kind of know them. 
kind yeah. of know. Right, maybe, right. But still, but you're sort of done, like. We've shared something. Well, if they're stars, they're still like, you know, I'm not a star. You know, and I treat them with, with respect. And mm-hmm. there's part of you that, you know, when you do ask somebody, like, how do I contact you? And if they throw the publicist at you. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, it's not you, huh? Like, you know, like they're. they're <laughs> yeah. But like. I would never abuse it, but I still, I still don't like. I guess it's, maybe it's an insecurity thing, but like I just don't see myself in the same world. So I'm still right. deferential and and sort of awed by you know not when I'm talking to somebody because they become people, sure. but you know when they leave, I'm sort of like, well, you know that's still that's still Julia Louis Dreyfus, you know? Right. What, what am I just gonna? Call her up, her like, you know, like yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, don't even, what, you know, yeah, because she joked on the podcast, like, yeah, I'll come back and we'll just hang out. And there, there, there's probably a thing in your head, like, <laughs> wait, like, oh, oh wait, no, really? Yeah, is, like, is she? Don't, I don't, but, I, but yeah. I don't have a hot tub. What are we gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, it's a drive over here. It's a long drive. <laughs> there had to have been a moment for the 700 with Louis, where because you mentioned you guys came up in Boston, you were in that scene together. So there, I mean, do you even have those moments where you step back and you go, "This is fucking nuts." I'm interviewing you for my 700th. We're both big comics in this game we've both have our own show like yeah. do you even think about that or no you're just like i'm gonna talk to my buddy well no i mean like he didn't know it was the 700th we kind of wedged that in right <laughs> like, by the way <laughs> well no it was sort of like like um he had helped me he did his voiceover for the first episode of Marin. like i wanted him to do a cameo but he just didn't have time yeah so i, I cajoled him into at least doing a phone call <laughs> so like you know when when louis calls me on the first episode of this season it's louis that's yeah. awesome because he came over, he was in town, and you know he wanted to hang out anyway. So he came over, and we did that. And then we ended up having this, you know, hour and a half conversation about him doing this Horace and Pete thing, which he hadn't even released yet or shot yet. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, like, you know, the mics are off, right? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm not. What do you think I'm going to do? Just like sit here and record you if you don't want to be recorded. So he tells me the whole story of what he went through to do Horace and Pete. And then like three days later, he's like, we probably should have recorded that. I'm like, oh fuck you, you know. Like, <laughs> You know, well, like you for later, to. for yeah. later, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just exactly. said, look, you know, if you do want to talk about it, let's, you know, let's talk about. It. So, at, at some other point, yeah. And then it turned out he did, you know, because mm-hmm. he wanted to get it out there in the world. And uh, I was shocked on how emotionally attached he was. Well, to I think the that. Well, I think that the good thing was that you know I know how to talk to Louie. You know, mm-hmm. we we are friends. You know, and, you know, I do know the parameters of our friendship and I know him. So, you know, when I have a conversation with him, you know, it, the, the sad thing about getting to a, a point of fame where you become a little insulated just by necessity is that, you, you, you know, this is a weird thing is that in there, there are people that you, you know that are like this. But, you know, when you get to a certain age, it's hard to make new friends. And, and also, if somebody gets to a certain level, you know, their their situation what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is there's not a lot of people he can sit down and talk to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who's he going to do that with after a certain point? Right. So You and Barbara Walters. Right. <laughs> but, like, so when he comes in, he wants to talk about it. Like, I, I, did, I remembered all the things. Like, I remember a lot of things about our relationship, about his life that I witnessed, you know, in seeing him become what he was. So, so like, I, I cataloged a lot of what we talked about in that original conversation. So when he decided to talk about it, I was excited to, to sort of – you know, no, remind him about these points mm-hmm. and then like give him the space to, to have the, the emotional experience. Like, I don't know that he's going to do that with everybody, but you know, I'm his old buddy and you know, I'm like, that must, you know, I'm kind of, you know, getting him to where he, you know, he wants to share that stuff. Yeah. And, and it turns out to be a great conversation. And, you know, but, but it just so happened that it was around the time of the 700th and Julia Louis Dreyfus was 700th. And we were like, well, what are we going to do? You know, with Lou, is it, is it just going to be a short one? Then we end up talking for two hours. I'm like, and my producer's like, well, now it's like, I'm like, so what, dude? It's a 700th. We'll just post 
part one and part two. Yeah, there's no it's rules to this right, right. show. Yeah, because yeah. like, but my guys like you know Brendan sort of like you only know, don't want to be too long, and I'm like, it's not too long. It's two separate things, and it's a special presentation. Yeah, seven <laughs> hundred. <You know, laughs> and, like, yeah. and I sold him on. He's like, you're right. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there's no there's no rules to this. You're Right, we're, but we're we're, we're, we're weird. You get into a discipline about it, yeah, and, and I think he's right that it's it's a rare thing. You don't want things to be like two and a half hours, three hours long, no. except for this. You no, know, you guys, say, hey, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're gonna hey, wrap it up. Hey, 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 this might be no. I don't mind, part, yeah. but I'm just saying yeah. that. Uh, yeah, but there is that moment where I don't always feel it. You know, but but I think Louis might have said it or said it off mic that like it's wild that you know this is where we're at because like I think a lot of people that know me a long time did not necessarily think it was going to work out for me. And you know, and really? when, yeah, they would say that to you, or just you... well, no, I just think it was sort of like you know they're happy, like they're relieved, like you know when I told Louis about you know how how many people the podcast reaches and you know how much money it's making now, he's like, oh, thank God, you know, like, you know, like I think like, <laughs> you know, like you is, know, that, like, is that weird for you to hear that because you're like, wait, were you guys that worried about yeah. me? Like, was but it... I don't know, it's but it's it's not really worry. It's just the nature of what we do. You know, we all yeah. have had friends that we started out with. Were you like, what happened to that guy? Yeah. And then like you know, what are you gonna do about that? You know, yeah. all you can do is be like, you're all right. Okay. Good to see you. Yeah. You know, like, I could so do a Kickstarter for them. Well, right. Yeah. Be uh, might, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, so, well, no, I don't, I'm not offended by it, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of like, you, you know, there is a sort of thing like, what do you think? I've just been doing this for nothing. Like, you're like, <laughs> well, you, well, you like, you know, but it's like, why would he think about that? Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah. cause I think that was the beauty of the first Louis one is like, I really think he went into that going like, oh, Mark's doing this thing. I'm going to help him I, out. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like when I invite you to my one act play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. You're like, oh, yeah, all fuck, right. Adam's trying to do a theater yeah, thing. All right. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to show up. And, yeah. <laughs> Hope it's not horrible. <laughs> you know? We got it, dude. You were Wolverine. It was yeah, a yeah, sad yeah, time. Yeah. God. Four hours? Really? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, last thing. Um, do you still love doing it 700 episodes in as much as you did? Yeah, 50? because like it's, I don't really look at that. Like I, you know, I know. But that, when you sit down in your garage, are you like as excited every time? Yeah, like, because I don't know what's going to happen. I yeah. don't know these people. Like I uh, literally, even the ones I know, I don't know what's going to happen. So, like you know, I kind of freak out before each one, and I'm like, well, I mean, am I, "Is he going to talk? Are we going to, you know, what do I, you know, like I got, you know, I got Neil Young coming in on Thursday. I don't know what. What, what am I going to fuck? Yeah, I mean, like, what do I do though? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, it's like you, this guy is Play like all of his songs yeah, to him. Yeah, but you can't do no, that. Like you, you know, I like I, the Chris Farley sketch from Saturday Night Live, I, like. <laughs> Rocking the free world. That was awesome, wasn't it? Well, Remember I've that? done that, though. I, I, yeah. I find that with some movie directors, like, there's no other way to do it. Like, you know, like with Paul Thomas Anderson, I was like, look, I got a problem with some of your movies. You know, I have to see them a lot. So let's just go movie to movie. Yeah. And that was incredible, explain. though. Yeah. And that's and I think, though, they do. I mean, and you've created, you know, your show what it is by doing stuff like that. And also, I mean, a lot of these people, I got to think they're not around people that are complimenting or reminding them about We're talking. Like, how, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, it's a weird, it's a disarming situation. How many conversations is Paul Thomas Anderson finding him where people are just like going down the list being like, I love this. But I a lot of them this. don't talk much. And a lot of times, you know, like depending on what, what you know, like a conversation, most of the time we don't, people don't know how much time has gone by or whatever, yeah. that there is sort of a thing about conversation that it, the, re, the difference between interviews and conversation is, you know, there's some people walk in and they're like, all right, what do you got? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Like, how am I going to get through this? Like, it doesn't happen right. too often. But there's still some people that don't really know the show or they've heard about it, but they don't listen to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they show up and a, you know, a couple of actors have been like, okay, 
And I'm like, Ugh. like, <laughs> I don't like, cause then I got to be like, so like, then I got to make up questions Yeah. until like, all you're hoping is like, they, like you just, you're on it and you're asking questions. And then if you just see like a little bit of excitement, like all of a sudden they're like, oh, well that time I'm like, all right, here we go. So now, now they're engaged. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, they're not answering questions. So stay in this for as long as, you know, they yeah. get engaged and then move from it, you know, move through into something else. And hopefully you hold that engagement. You know, and and then that's a conversation. Uh, well, it's I can speak for both Brad and I, but like listening to uh, your podcast has been, I mean, incredibly helpful and inspiring for us doing this. I mean, we've been doing this now three years. We're like 250 episodes in. But I mean, the talking and listening uh, portion of this, you you don't learn other than from doing it, but you can learn a lot of, I mean, just like you just said, how much to, I know I've probably process that without thinking about it, what you just said of, of finding a great moment and staying connected and locked in it and you know deciding when to transition from yeah. something is yeah. you all learn from doing but you can also learn from listening to the best yeah and, but uh, sometimes you know, and also sometimes you interrupt and sometimes you like you don't let them finish or maybe i'm talking about me like yeah. i <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah. but, but it's like it's you know i don't know what the hell to tell you about that you know like you, 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 you what are you going to do? <laughs> well, you thank go. you for doing the podcast, and thank you for... Uh, thank you for podcasts in general. Sure, yeah. man. We all, we all, <laughs> like, we I mean, all owe you something. Well, I appreciate that. No, and, I, and I'm glad I did it. You know, like I, like I said, I, I, I don't do a lot. And but like, so it's, it's a big deal for us. You know, but it's not, by, it's not a policy. It's just sort of like, you know, you wonder, you know, I like you, I like you. And, uh, you know, we're comics, and it's good. You, For you, those of you know. listening, there are two other people in the room you just pointed to, so <laughs> yeah, uh, it's yeah. not actually Brad. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, the people I brought with me, <laughs> my, my friends have been silent on the couch. You guys are doing a pretty good job. I don't feel bad. That was, that, yeah, that was like your carrot top yeah, posse yeah, yeah, over yeah, in the corner. Yeah, yeah. That you're like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, you guys ready to go? I got enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a big deal because yeah. it's uh, you know it's. Uh -huh. I know that you don't do a lot of these. So well, no, I had a good time. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, um, thank you. And I know that um, you getting uh, doing Mighty Ducks too, and having them delete your scene. Hopefully, it's something. <laughs> they didn't delete it. Just cut it. I've seen it. <laughs> what? Yeah, I've is it good? It. It's all right. I mean, like yeah, I think at some point he sent me a VHS of the scene. <laughs> Who did? Steve Brill. He directed it. Oh shit! Uh, he, he that was him do, helping an old friend out get his uh, his SAG card. <laughs> was can me I, doing that. Can we ask for all the things you've that you've been, done for us that that made us uh, think you're cool in our eyes? When we saw that you were in Mighty Ducks too, yeah, we freaked out. We were like, "Oh, he interviewed Obama." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mighty he, Ducks. <laughs> he was in the film where the knuckle puck yeah. was originated, <laughs> and I was absolutely <laughs> outraged when they cut you out. Yeah, cut me out. Yeah, because I scared the ducks. <laughs> Too Thanks. angry. Maybe have on Emilio to talk about it. Oh, was he in that? <laughs> he was the coach. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't have any scenes with him. I was a, I was a, I was, a, I was, it was in a number of uh, of parts I did back in the day that were just angry somethings. I was, a, angry I was, a, somethings. I was the angry valet in the uh, in the Mighty Ducks. I was the angry promoter in Almost Famous. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Marin season four Wednesdays nine on IFC, and hopefully uh, we will pitch uh, watching Jews barter to IFC if season five doesn't go. They'll take it. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Yep. Show. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. We had laughs and stories. Now go listen to more episodes. On iTunes or your phone. Subscribe and tell your family and everyone you know. But what should I tell them? Well, you can just tell them that Brad Williams and Adam Ray can help. Yeah.
everybody, it's me, Tony Danza. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Boy, they're a lot of fun, huh? Why don't you subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.